Welcome to the Spiritual Underground Podcast. Once again, this is Dan, like always, coming to you from the wood shop at DTM Enterprises, my little uh, shop in my backyard. Um, so we'll go to this a little few of these little um, commercials, so to speak. Go to dtmww.net. I have now added handyman services to the woodworking thing. So if uh, you're in the Louisville metropolitan area and you want some services like that, please get a hold of me. Uh, you can get to me through that uh, through that website, dtmww.net. A bunch of different ways. Uh, I'm a pretty available guy. Uh, Twelve Step Spiritual Recovery, a book by James Christopher Cohn is available on Amazon. You can get that. Uh, there's two volumes now, or the full, uh, the full script, the full uh, text, um, and also in a Kindle version. So James Christopher Cohn on Amazon. We will be talking about that a little more today for sure. Uh, the music wrapped around this is by Darren Frank. Please keep him in your prayers. He's gone through a couple surgeries this week. Uh, this is will be timely because uh, by the time this is released, uh, the, we will. Um, this will be released the day after we're recording it. So those prayers will be needed and effective. So his music is wrapped around this thing, and I've kind of settled on using that uh, as a regular thing. Uh, kind of picked out and floated on a couple songs that I think are going to become the Spiritual Underground theme song. Uh, didn't really know what I was going to do with that, but I'm landing there. So uh, those are that's that. So um, just to get started, I like to just kind of, I don't know what to say, maybe like lubricate my voice box for a minute and, and get a little talking. Uh, as usual, a lot of cool stuff is keeps on happening for me. Uh, I get to walk some walks that uh, uh, still continue to amaze me. And, and uh, my sponsor will talk about my openness to new experiences being part of that. And I really can't tell you exactly where that comes from other than it exists. So this past weekend, I did what was called an initiation into the Mankind Project. It's a men's uh, fellowship of uh, men making better men, treat, and, and it has some other cool things in it. With This past weekend was called the Initiation, uh, similar to the initiations that's been going on for thousands of years among men, where if it's uh, hunting initiations or the Native Americans and, and, and uh, frankly, societies uh, have been doing that uh, for thousands of years at some level. And it's something that's kind of fell off. You know, I kind of felt like I had an initiation in a way by going hunting with my father and his friends when I was growing up. Uh, but it wasn't, um, it didn't have the, the stretch my uh, being the way that, that I think of it now and the way this past weekend was. But I did that last weekend. Really cool experience. Uh, if you want any more information about that, reach out to me. Uh, probably start beating that drum a little bit because it's another piece of my life that uh, frankly transformed me once more through a weekend and last night we had the homecoming and the guy at the other end of the table uh, went with me and joined me at that homecoming so my guest today is Christopher Cohn the author of 12-step spiritual recovery and my sponsor so he went to the recut to the um, homecoming with me last night it was pretty neat there was i don't know five six seven of us up there receiving the thing not all of us were from louisville but the ones that were from louisville appeared to be all at this event and uh so another step in uh I, what do we say like to use bill's words another uh another step in the phase of my development how you doing chris i'm doing well thank you for asking yeah <laughs> good morning you want to lubricate your voice box a little bit too sure uh that was fun being there last night um like I told you, uh, there's a tribal, uh, primitive aspect that's deep in our blood that I could just feel taking place that, you know, I told you I was envisioning us being in a cave somewhere with the elders and being welcomed into the ceremony. And, uh, we missed that. I think yeah, I actually heard 
or read something about the power of ceremony and uh, and how we're losing that in our fast culture yeah with everything being microwave this and microwave that and we don't really take time to honor sure we have graduations and things but even those become commercialized or lose some of the magic to them so uh, i thought it was really cool it was a gathering of people that didn't know what to expect right yeah except for the people who were holding the event and we all were you were shuffled into another room to begin with we were shuffled over here and and i said okay let's see how this develops it's pretty cool yeah i enjoyed it yeah it's a i don't know really if the word is right but that is ceremonial it's probably more i was saying theatrical that's probably mm-hmm. less of a of an accurate word for what the weekend mm-hmm. was the weekend was very ceremonial mm-hmm. everything had a place and a purpose and uh like the big talking stick i like that that you you know, have to pass this on for the person to have the floor yeah it's, yeah it's like honoring what they're going to say instead of like washington when everybody's screaming at each other at once yeah mr chairman mr chairman you know what the hell is that there's yeah. no respect in that yeah you know, 12-step rooms, we've developed a discipline among one another that we don't talk over each other and we respect each other and listen to each other, you know. And uh, and I think that stick is, uh, that, that talking stick is a repre- represents that there. And I may, uh, you know, frankly, you, there's some, always kind of balance because I take this stuff. Like I went through yoga teacher training and I pulled some stuff into my life that I use and into my retreats that I use with for that I pulled from there you know and I, and I really want to pull some things from uh, mankind that that nice. that uh, that were, were taught there and a talking stick is one of the cool kind of things uh, and, we, and we also did it with a small stick at times in a sitting circle on the ground and you passed like a baton size stick mm-hmm. around rather than a, than the, than the big tall staff like mm-hmm. uh, and you know that was like a law well well I don't know if that one was that one was not so much the one they used over the weekend a lot was like a log it was like was three inches or wow. so in diameter it was big and so when you this picked it up and kind of dropped it on the, yeah this one was fancy it had yeah. been carved and and some time had been spent on it the one they were using over the weekend really just looked like a big stick it was had to bark on it and everything and it was but it was like a three inch diameter and when they kind of pop it to signify that you're starting and ending uh it it it, it thunked on the ground you heard That's it and awesome. felt it when when it was dropped on the on the floor and then i've heard you talk like in the Don Majors talk about how we in our group have a time limit on people sharing at the Mm -hmm. meeting. And I think that also makes it more of an honoring experience that, you know, get to the point, share your wisdom. Let's not let ego be involved. Yeah. And then, you know, I saw the one brother challenge the other brother last night over what he said that, you know, that he felt like he had more to say. Um, I like that. I like that accountability aspect. Yeah. Yeah. I I like both pieces of that too. And I like the, the timer also creates some equality, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, yes, the newcomer is just as important as the old timer. Right. That's a tradition in our program that's been lost sometimes because people will hold meetings hostage and think it's my meeting and I, I'm the, this is my seat in the room and I'm the president of this group. And yeah, that's not the tradition of the twelve yeah. step philosophy. Yeah, I was at a, I was at one yesterday uh, at a at a twelve step meeting yesterday, and it was the tradition was to stand and speak, uh-huh. which I like that too. I personally like that, especially huh. in a room that's. Uh, with people facing different directions, you know, if you're, in, that's why I like what we do in a circle more or less and where we're all speaking towards the center of the circle. So the Mankind thing is sitting in a circle and they all, they move so that they ask a question. Can you see every man's face? Hmm. You know, and if you can't, we adjust the circle so that without moving in a, in a good circle, you should be able to look to your right, left and see every face around the, around the circle. Uh, I, I like that. And, but in this meeting, it's not really able to do that. So standing is the thing in order to get hmm. your voice projected. And also you can see and recognize who is the person who is speaking. I like well, I kind of like that. that's what's really cool, too, about um, recovery is the home group decides how they want to run their business. Yeah. And you can evolve. 
Yeah. And we may have an opportunity to be in a bigger space. And uh, and that may facilitate people standing when they yeah. talk. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you know, that'll pe- help them be more truthful. Yeah. Now, I, you know, you, when you stand up and everybody's looking at you, it's yeah. really hard to yeah. put on your little act. As much and you as do project is. better. Your voice is heard yeah. better standing than That's it true. is seated. That's true. Uh, you, you you get a little more diaphragm in your. Some people and are tough to hear. It's, like you said, more respectful about the person sharing that it's you know instead of just like yeah yeah thanks blah 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 yeah <laughs> thanks Mike. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had the one guy yesterday who went up to the podium. You know, he walked in when it was his turn. He moved up to the podium and and leaned on the podium and took the microphone over during his share. Mm-hmm. And he went really long. Mm-hmm. And I saw the chairperson giving the wrap it up symbol. Mm-hmm. And he was completely uh, oblivious to the wrap it up symbol. And he gave, you know, I would say, you know, someplace in the neighborhood of a 10 minute. Speech. It's called a diatribe. I was going to use that word too, a diatribe. <laughs> that is actually what I was getting ready to say. And bless his heart. In fact, you know what the thing was? Bless though? his heart. The guy had <laughs> the Sorry. guy had some really good stuff that I identified with him sharing. You I know, know. and, and I, a, he was attractive to me because he was talking some things about twelve steps being some spiritual teachings that would be valuable to everybody. So it went right up our alley, like. Uh, with the TSSR and stuff, but mm. but that whole deal was like because I was a little bit drawn to like talk to him about it, and I was like, yeah, I don't think so. I think I'll put a hold on. So that I have a, a stage background, theater, and all that stuff, and um, there was a philosophy that you know when you're killing the audience, which means they're rolling and they're loving everything you're saying, know when to get off, because that cane in the old vaudeville days mm-hmm. used to reach out and pull that son bitch off before the tomatoes started to fly. And I've seen this a thousand million times in my time in recovery where the guy has made it, man. He Uh has made the keenest point he's ever going to make that night. And then he goes, and. So, oh, you just blew it. Because everything he says after that completely nullifies the power, just like you experienced yesterday, what that guy was sharing. If he had just wrapped it up. Yeah, I hear people do that all the time. Yeah, I'm like hoping. There's a lot of times where I'm hoping that the guy guy will slam the gavel on himself at his crescendo. Because if he would, it really was an impactful share. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of goes on and and it ends up tailing off into something that actually just takes all the, not takes all, but but removes a lot of the juice out of what a guy's saying. You'll see this in comedians. They always have that one drop the mic line at the end and everybody just roars on laughter. And they'll they'll get that. And then they end on a low point when they should have just known, oh, you know what? I got him. That's enough. Yeah. Stop there. Yeah. So I did want to, well, just before we get, you want to tell them what we're doing Go ahead. today? No, what do you got? Okay. Go ahead. Just to update the folks out there that have heard Dan talk about the TSSR deal and where we're at right now. We just got a chance to celebrate six months of having our first meeting yeah. the other week, and it's bigger than ever. I don't. I, we're outgrowing our space. We, I mean, we, every time people come in, we have to spread and make more room yeah. for chairs. Yeah, circles getting uh, bigger and bigger. And it's all the people we wanted to help. It's people who don't have experience in recovery or are part of a different fellowship that aren't getting the juice that they need. And uh, they're all getting sponsors, and they're all in the work and reading the book and get changing their lives. And I couldn't have asked for, personally, a greater evolution in such a short time uh, with the potential that we have three meetings already, one out of town and out, hour outside of Louisville. Uh, shout out to our friends in Hodgensville on Saturday morning if yeah. you're in Hodgensville or anywhere down in that area. Uh, and there has been a couple hits on that Facebook page from people down in the E-Town, Hodgensville E-town, area. Yeah, that, uh, but it's in Hodgensville. This right. uh, meeting actually right is. But, it's at the Hodgensville but, Library yeah. still. Yeah. But, but. And uh, I just couldn't have expected that that many people were going to be just needing that help and ready to roll with it that quickly. You know, I, I mentioned it to me in this past week. Bill says in the big book some comment about uh, 
it, I'm going to get the figures wrong on this, so forgive me, but it's somewhere around, I think, some measly wheat, six members for about two years. Yeah. It took them forever to get the third alcohol because they went through several failures, Bill and Bob trying to go to the hospital and get people. And I think it was Hank or somebody like that from uh, Kentucky. Yeah, that actually, he was a lawyer from Kentucky, they say, who was the third dude. Hmm. Third or fourth, but I'm pretty sure he's the third. And then they were rolling together, and then it just was, took a long time to get started. They didn't have any media. They didn't have any way to spread the word. Um, so I'm just thrilled as punch. So if anybody out there is interested, uh, especially if you're in recovery, we really need some service work in this area. I will even guilt you to get you on board. I mean, we are being very selfish about having these tools to ourselves. And we all watch TV, and we all watch what's happening in our governments and in our world affairs and we're like oh my god the world's going to hell climate change we're all going to die but nobody's doing a goddamn thing to stop it i don't understand that about human beings i get it to a point that we all feel like what can i do i want to have so limited power and yet within this program those of you out there listening who are in recovery we have a power in these rooms that is transformative you cannot tell me that you went from a person did not go from a person who was one way when you started the 12 steps to a person that was completely plugged in and different and enlightened and spiritually awakened, whatever terms you want to put on it, which changed your whole existence and the way you approach earth, yeah. your, your life, yep. your daily affairs. And we can do that for other people too. And we can change this planet and save it. That's my biggest philosophy with the 12 steps and not that they're for everyone, but I know that everybody that does it gets the same result. Right. Yeah. So if you're out there, and you want to do some surface work, we need some meetings started, people to sponsor people. If you don't want to start a meeting, just check out if any of your friends are interested in reading the book or yeah. going through the steps and you take them through them one-on-one. -on -one. You don't have to start a meeting. Um, but let's start spreading this word. We have tools that work for life. And I wish everybody had them. Yeah, me too. Uh, I've been blessed in many ways and just as you were saying you know and, and i got another text this morning a guy you know sent a picture to sent a picture of volume one the book and said will you take me through this book juice and uh I love that. you know and and so that's, that's cool and and and, uh, and um i always feel like apologizing for about and so i kind of already have but at the risk of sounding a, a little bravado you know i'm sponsoring a few people through the tssr project process and More using that else. and uh, and it is really a uh, it's really a interesting and again stretching my own self that's what i find is i sponsor people that it's also good for me it's not just totally that i'm doing that you know i realize that the work that i'm while i'm sitting with somebody it's a two-way street i i am i am learning and 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 gaining uh understanding and effectiveness while i sit with somebody else and, and and hand these tools off and it's very interesting to be giving it to people who are not their primary thing is not the alcohol and drug thing that's not what we're talking about trying to get past you know as it is in my 12-step my traditional 12-step because i fall into this i've been around a long time when you're working with somebody who's has our disease you know the routine. I'm going to yeah. take them through this. I'm going to do this. And then when you get somebody who's completely unfamiliar with the tools, I, have, I ran into this when I was writing the book. You have to sort of really stop and think, like, how can I reach them? Yeah. This isn't quite getting them. I can't talk about being drunk and pooping on yourself or pissing on yourself or anything like that. How can I reach this person on that level of powerlessness in a different way? And I went through that when I was writing the book, and I find that to be fascinating. And then you do find that hook. You got a guy that you're working with that I won't say what it is, but he has a hook that he wants to work on that yep. you found his powerlessness. Yeah. And uh, so I'm very excited for the future. And 
thanks for having me on this show so we can tell other people about it. Yeah, that's uh, that's the main purpose for the show is to deliver this message across any avenue that I can. Uh, we say something and there's a there's a word and and I've kind of made it a personal. You know, one of the things we did in the Mankind Project was define a mission. Uh, and it is nice to, you know, what I said, really what happened to me. I kind of know what my mission is in a sense, you know, or at least what it is today. I won't say it's not, you know, I'm sure it evolve and, and dodge around and things. Uh, but I've really had this place in my heart to deliver this stuff and to talk to people and to help people recover. Uh, and it's been in my heart from the beginning to not be having a singleness of purpose around that either personally. Uh, I, I totally respect that concept within the walls that it is used in, mm-hmm. uh, but I also don't have to reside in that inside that fort by myself, so to speak. Or you know, I don't have to. I don't have to restrict myself to that. So you know, I have a I have a purpose. I have a primary. I have a primary purpose is to help people recover from whatever I can help them recover from, whatever that is. If I can help, I want to. And that that purpose that I come up with over the weekend, you know, and then they were, a guy gentleman shared, and we sat down and did a lot of writing and work and and meditation. To come up with these ideas uh, in hours of developing a mission statement, you know, wasn't just sit down and write one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of uh, it was kind of cool. A guy did a and man. I hate. Uh, I'm just going to talk about it. I'm not going to. Too bad. He did a drew a little man, you know, and he was talking about. We were talking about the five primary emotions and the way that they lay them out: sad, glad, anger, uh, fear, and joy is the way they had them laid out, you know, and there's all variations of that. And every time he would talk to one, he drew a bar, he drew a vertical line in front of the little stick man he had on the wall mm-hmm. and about how we have those kind of things, those, all those emotions kind of jail us in and we end up building a wall because of all that and not be able to like move through those emotions and be able to like accept them and, and, and embrace them, uh, takes the power out of them that, that keeps us caged. And as men, we tend to not, you know, we, we tend to really be behind, you know, kind of prisoner of our emotions mm-hmm. and uh so that was a really cool uh um diagram that he he brought to and i'm a visual guy so when he wrote that did it it it, it come to me but my mission when i when they developed it and sit down you know and then it come up to say uh uh i want to create a world of healing recovery through guiding people to their true purpose and uh, that's what I feel like has happened to me through the 12-step pro- process. There's a lot of things in the book and what Bill Wilson wrote about what this book is all about. You know, one of them is to find the power greater in yourself. It says that's exactly what this book about, is about. It says our purpose is to uh, increase or to, uh, there's an understanding and growing understanding and effectiveness. And there's another line too that says something about what the purpose of the book is and that. But, you know, to me, what it was is it allowed me to find myself. Bound like the subtitle of your book, how to reclaim my true self, and uh, that's what I. And, and in that, I found a purpose for my life, which is sitting here at this podcast table and doing this other stuff and sponsoring people and sitting and helping pitch in on twelve step on the TSSR movement, and at the same time do the same thing in the uh, in the uh, in my traditional twelve step roles there too. Which leads to happiness, which is why people are not happy in our country. It, happiness does not come from material possessions and how much you have in your bank account. Happiness comes from having a function and when we're giving to others. That's the highest drug I've found on earth is when yep. you're being of service to others. Absolutely. So talk about transformative. And again, I, I don't know what other word to use for it. When you talk about how much use you were being to anybody as you were running from the cops, having broken into that house for stealing pills, yeah. to this guy today who's literally transforming his world around him with all the people you touch. Um, miracle, to use that word. Yep. Also, you touched on uh, primary purpose. 
uh, I think God, our boy Bill in the book says our primary purpose is to fit ourselves to be of use to God and our fellows. There you go. So why am I limiting my service work to say, oh, well, I only do it behind these closed doors and I don't do it. That was not what Bill intended. Yeah. He said our responsibility is to grow to the point, paraphrasing, where we are out in our communities and our schools and our neighborhoods and our families sharing these principles. Uh, the other thing you talked about, um, and I knew it was going to go right out of my head as soon as you said it. Oh, uh, mission. You know, the Buddhists have a practice of meditating daily on their impermanence so that they always have this in the forefront of their cortex here that I'm limited and only my time is running out. You know, in our culture, we shun death. We, you know, and I find out that with a lot of my patients, they don't want to talk about it. And I'm like, that's not the way to approach it. You should talk about it every day. And that's what they do. They, every morning they wake up and think about, I'm mortal and I'm going to die. What am I going to do with this time I have left today? Today. So that's the same thing as having a mission, having a purpose. And we don't cultivate that in our culture in America. You know, my mission is to go out to McDonald's and buy the value meal and then get over here and get my Starbucks coffee and go here and buy this thing at Macy's so that I can look good and drive this car. And, you know, that's our function, our purpose that they're giving to us through this programming I talk about in the book, through media and commercials and all that. Um, but so how powerful is that to be able to say no, to break those shackles and say, you know, I'm going to be a good man today. I really like that about the ceremony last night. Yeah. I'm going to spread. And then they said making the world safer as with masculine energy instead of the masculine energy of America, which is very destructive, military, conquer, manifest destiny. <laughs> it's scary. Um, so. What gifts we get from this program? I mean, you can't even, we could sit here for hours. Yeah, we could. Go on and yeah. on. But I know we have a purpose today. So. Yeah, we do have a mission today, too. Uh, I will right. tell mission. you one more thing that uh, you tipped on that, and a guy had touched me with a word. He said, you know, I used to, I always taught myself, and uh, I always thought I was an, a nice guy. Uh, today, I'm a good man. Juice. Yeah, I, I really, like that. Yeah, I really like that. And what greater goal to aspire to in life than being a good soul? Yeah. There's yeah. nothing greater. Yeah in this world of inequity and all the injustice and terrible things that are happening. So today, this is Christopher's idea. And that's another one of the things that I, one of the reasons I love this man across the table from me is he has wonderful uh, noggin on his head to come up with things that, uh, that, so we were talking about doing this uh, podcast and, and, and I like to mix it up. You know, I, I do love the storytelling aspect of the podcast. I like to hear the recovery stories, but I also want to mix up other things and have some other angles on it. And so today we're going to do what uh, kind of is a 20 questions. Uh, Christopher has come up with 10 questions for me. Uh, I have 10 questions for him. And uh, I already feel a little funny about because I he's just so uh, magical in his... Uh, words and processing and things that I already feel like my questions will fall short uh, all that kind of crap already but I will get over that and what we also did well, through because my intrep my trepidation is oh shit is Dan going to hit me with something that's going to throw me off balance and I won't have the right answer and I'll embarrass myself on the microphone uh, <laughs> so it's funny yeah, how we both yeah, think the same way yeah. plus we have these and right that's here. what I was going to say and also uh, I have a couple of different uh so if you listen to Don's story, he said we would be uh, we would be remiss if we were not taking advantage of the technology in the use of recovery and spreading this message. And that's one of the things that we can probably say has been somewhat why the growth of TSSR is moving at the rate it is, is because we have the technology to spread the word. Uh, I have a Facebook page that I run, uh, and so you can find that. 
Um, Christopher has a web page, a TSSR web page that you can find. It's 12stepspiritualrecovery.com. 12stepspiritualrecovery.com. Which is now secured. Yeah. I got the SSL certificate going and everything else. All not right. that we take credit cards on it, but you know, yeah. some people won't get on the site. It's not secured. Yeah. And, um, and I run some things that are these little group chats and it just brings a connection level. And I just really like them. And, and, and they, these were, you know, I didn't, I would f- quickly say that, you know, I'm not taking credit personally for any, like finding any of this stuff or, or coming up with it, but it was brought to me by the nicotine quitting community was this community aspect of deepening some things and using these tools to do that. And so I started some number of these, what they are, you know, these little group chat rooms that you have the freedom to mute them, to stop notifications. You can come and go and leave from the group as you please. Uh, if somebody would, you know, we also have some admin roles where we can actually, I've never had to do this, but where you could actually ban somebody or remove them if they were, uh, if it was a problem, if they weren't respecting the, the group, uh, like I said, I've never had to do that, but that tool is available. So I on, so it's come full circle on there where I'm going, why I'm talking about that is, is that I use the different, uh, these different, uh, avenues like, uh, Facebook and these chat groups to solicit some questions from people in our community. So we also have, along with the questions that Christopher has for me and I have for him, we also have a cup full of, uh, a jar full of questions that were submitted by you guys. Which I think we should start with one of those. Okay. We'll Just do to that. throw us both off balance. Yeah. I'm going to stand up and get my coffee cup All closer right. to me. I'm uh, watching Dan. He's moving over to the counter. He is grabbing the pitcher now. He's pouring it into his yellow thermos. A yellow, pretty attractive thermos, I must say. It looks very durable. Could could survive any fall if you were to drop it. And now he's placing the pitcher on the table, a wood table, which he handcrafted with all of his crystals and beautiful things. Yeah, I put a lot of energy uh, <laughs> generation things on the table when I found it useful. And I like it in my life, period. But I have a bunch of crystals. I have uh, spiritual underground business cards. I have DTM handiwork business cards. I have uh, Ooh, various some volumes. Some, uh, we do need some here. TSSR business cards on here. We do need those energy <laughs> generation tools. Uh, I have my uh, my AA Big Book, Volume 1 of uh, 12 Steps Spiritual Recovery, and my original edition one of uh t- the full edition of uh 12 step spiritual recovery here along with some other knickknacks we have some guys uh celebrating one year here soon so i've been making some ones out of wood for some guys uh they'll hear that but uh, that's getting to be i, I kind of keep it a secret but now it's beginning to be where people are kind of ex- expecting it. it so do you want to draw a question out of the cup and we will start there our fancy solo cup you know yeah, we used right. to use these for other purposes yeah. maybe a little bit of palm yeah I was looking for something. And I was like, "Well, that, that will that will work just as good." This as is totally anything. random, folks, because these are folded up, and I can't see which one I'm picking. So, some of the questions are longer, some are shorter. A question that came from a new guy in an AA meeting. Paraphrased: He is having trouble with the fifth step because he is reluctant to be honest with anyone, mainly due to the illegality of his actions and the distrust distrust of everyone. He mentioned quote, statute of limitations, unquote, are not exceeded in any way, and he could do serious time, and doesn't know how to trust someone to keep quiet about his confessions and resentments. He asked how to find someone to work his fifth step with and how to know who to trust from Anonymous. Good question. Yeah, 
Uh, it's a tough one. Yeah, I actually know who that question come from, but he attributed it to somebody else and uh, asking for a friend. Better, uh, yeah, asking for a friend. So I like, you know, man, I'm gonna be real safe with that one and not uh, and not attach a name on it. We will, I, we will tell you. You know, I do want to, uh, by way of thank you all to for submitting the question. So uh, those folks who uh, didn't speak anything specific will. We'll get credit for their questions today because I, I want to make sure they know where we have a community. So let's get this out on the table, and we're going to try and breeze. Let's make our answers as compact as possible so we can get as many of these. As, um, there's these horror stories you'll hear within the rooms of a sponsor who heard something that they just weren't okay with, and they did report them, and I assume that's happened if they're if it's in the – but then you always wonder what that rumor mill will generate and then build it up and exaggerate. You know? Yeah. Um, but – the way we approach it, somebody who has a solid spiritual basis, and you really, this is more of a gut thing you'll get with your sponsor than an intellectual. You'll just know and feel something that's just like this guy has his shit together. Um, the spiritual aspect of the fifth step is if you violate it, for someone who's an alcoholic or an addict, you are risking getting drunk or high yourself because this is the very thing that saved your life. And now you're to continue to save your life, you're supposed to pass it on intact as it was given to you to the next guy. So if you're going to put your ego ahead of that and say, well, I don't agree with this and I'm going to turn this guy in. Good luck, brother. Yeah. I think you're going to get drunk or high. What do you think about that? I agree. I think anytime you're violating any of these, I call them spiritual axioms. I don't really know yeah. what other word to use for principles. them or principles is that mm-hmm. the, these things these, that are just, and almost, yeah, they, they are principles, but they're almost like, um, they're almost like gravity. You know, they're laws almost, you know, that, you know, I drop something, it falls to the floor. There's no beating that. And some of this stuff, I almost feel that way about these, some of these principles that we have here. If you violate them, you're doing so at your own peril. And, 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 you know, uh, those things will come back around at you and, and get you. Uh, I do a thing when I sit down and that's one of the first things I open with by teach taught from, from my sponsor was that, you know, I want to make sure this guy knows that this is an ironclad thing here. Yeah. You know, that we're sitting down and everything you tell me today, nothing is going anywhere. And now we'll ways, put the brother. I think my guy understand that you, nothing I say is leaving this room. Either. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And we make a pact that way that uh-huh. nothing's going here. Now the, you know, and I will power. also put in a caveat though, and I'll put this out here that I say, Hey, you know, but then there is some one exception here, but I will only do this with your explicit permission that if i need to take something like to my sponsor or to somebody to where we will need to some help on helping you where it's beyond my capabilities or my experience yeah. but i will only do that mm-hmm. with specific permission from you and and together on that and by the way those details are things we've learned over the years in our experience that i've tried to include in the book that you're just not going to hear at a meeting yeah like what getting your guys permission to go talk to your sponsor right. some people just go right to their sponsor and violate the fist step yeah um, not only that, but I'm supposed to tell my dirt. Yep. That's and in case one. the person anonymous doesn't understand this, if your sponsor does not tell you something completely humiliating and embarrassing in their story or something they would not you want you to share with someone, then, yeah, I would have reason to worry that he's going to share something because you've got dirt on him now. Yep. That if he breaks your confidentiality. Yeah, yeah, you should be like swapping stories. That's uh, mm-hmm. like uh, Scott L's explanation of it, that it is not. I just never like the drop word dropping this dropping that Uh, i just never have liked it to those who use it okay but i don't like it but i know around a fist step i'm exchanging a fist step with somebody Mm -hmm. we are sharing deep personal stories with one another 
And so you've got the dirt on me and I've got the dirt on you. And we have a little pact there that, uh, that that's not the purpose at any level, but mm-hmm. that, that, that awareness is, is laying on with top of it. anonymous, trust your gut on that. If you don't get a good feeling with your boy, because yep. you're going through one through five, yep. which is really that chance to get to know your sponsor, <laughs> just get somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You know, I've heard one little thing and I'll say that somebody that, uh, has talked about, and, and I don't know, but, but as you said that it, it crossed my mind. So I will, I will state it. Um, I will, I will share it of, uh, if you're, Doing fist step with a lawyer, if you pay them a dollar, they are underprivileged not to talk and and, and not be able to confidentiality yeah, or a therapist. Yeah. Or a therapist. Yeah. And and you could you can kind of uh mm-hmm. put a little extra safety blanket, mm-hmm. security blanket over mm-hmm. top of it. And that's mm-hmm. all I don't know, you know. I don't that's not I don't need that. But maybe somebody does and then it may help solidify that a little bit for somebody who might have some particular uh, and we need to keep it. rolling, but also yep. I tell my guy that I've I've heard so many fist steps and I've never once violated that principle, yep. so that he understands he's in a lineage. This yeah. isn't the first time I've heard somebody's worst acts. Yeah, yeah. So who wants to go first, me or you? I will go for it. All right. So, uh, so what? And some of this stuff is a curiosity for me, just straight up. You know, uh, what color? You know, I know a lot wear? about you. But there are some things here and there, and, and I don't know that you've ever told me when, uh, <laughs> when that moment was that where I have a distinct memory of a moment and when the moment was that I knew this thing was working in my life. You know, so I start out with a lot of doubt and things hearing my sponsor talking back in my head. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm telling you I'm okay with it or whatever, and I'm, I'm moving forward in all the actions that I need to be. But the camera show in the back is saying this is bullshit and it's not going to work. And I remember having a flash of when the 12 steps were, 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 were starting to work for me. And I knew it without a doubt. So what was your moment? Well, it'd be easy to say the fifth step because everybody has that moment of I was here and now I'm here. Um, and then for me, it was that peace. Um, I felt like I wasn't going a thousand miles an hour in my own skin. I was starting to settle down into the process. Um, I'd almost go so far back as to say my first meetings with my sponsor in his car, which is what I talk about a lot in the book. Mm-hmm. That was a sacred experience for me that uh, it was my refuge, my island of safety once a week to be able to share with another man what was really going on for me and my sobriety. And um, if you can't share with your sponsor on that level, get a new sponsor. Uh, that's the whole point of having a sponsor is to be able to tell them everything. And, uh, I think I felt like it was working. I really did before I was really even went through, was going through the process as we were just beginning in this car and uh, and getting a sponsor because up and, and getting a sponsor that I knew I was going to do the work with. Let's just put it that way because there's a lot of people I work with who say yeah, I have somebody but I don't call them and I'm not really doing thinking yeah. about doing any steps. That's not a sponsor. I remember that moment when I got so scared from that last use, having been sober after six months, that I said shit. Am I going to be a homeless dude now? Am I going to be that guy on the streets looking for his next? No. <laughs> I'm a house cat. I know that about myself. I don't like to be uncomfortable. So, yeah, I'd say that when I first got that sponsor to do the work, and I felt safe. Yeah, cool. I felt like Thank I was you. on my way. Yeah. Do you, you want to answer yours real quick? I mean, you can answer your own It was a little culmination too. of it, but uh, one of the things was is when you came, when I was wanting you to sponsor me and you never raised your hand, and then I shared in a meeting and you come up and told me, basically at some level said i want to sponsor you 
uh, I knew something had shifted right then. But the big one, really, the the no things were changes was when that address was wrong on that paperwork at the court. <laughs> I like that. And then, and so it wasn't then. It was actually a couple. You know, it was it was it was after that as that as that panned around and you made you know you brought to the awareness to me and then now you know I kind of have that vision too where I see things from a different it's the different colored glasses kind of thing of that it was not a mistake it was not a clerical error that my higher power was actually uh making things happen for me and supporting me in my recovery juice all right there's so many good questions here and i know i'm not gonna be able to ask you all of them because the time limit but i gotta choose the cool ones here um what well let's start with a simple one if this one's easy what's your favorite bill wilson quote And I know it's very difficult to pick one. Yeah. Plus, on the spot, your head will go, what, what? I can't think. Yeah, actually, I landed right on one. It was more formulating it is, uh, but I can paraphrase it. That, uh, and, of course, I've got my book there, too. I can grab it and actually say it. But it is the one where we've only uh, started to uh, mine a limitless load and that, that we can we can continue to mine the rest of our lives as long as we give it all away. Good answer. Mine is in uh, a vision for you. Uh, when he's talking about how you may have lived a great, exciting life up till this point, but then he goes on to say the most satisfying years yeah. of your existence lie ahead of you. And I've always, always as a writer, simple is always so much more profound. Dickens was excellent at that. And uh, he could have chose the greatest years, the most uh, profound years, but the most satisfying. Yeah. Now, for those of you listening who haven't done your step work or maybe done shitty step work, Think about the most satisfying years of your existence still lie ahead of you. If you'll just do about four to six months worth of work. Yeah. That's a profound promise. It really and is, it's yeah. been my experience. Mine too. Yeah. My yeah. life before was, I had experiences. I can tell you all kinds of jokes and stories and fun, but not satisfying. Yeah. Not like it is today. Yeah. Rich. Yeah. All right. Back to our cup. Yep. A guest question. How did you feel, and at what point did you feel grace within the program, and elaborate on what grace is to you? From Shane G, mm. our good friend Shane Dog. <laughs> That's for Shane out there. <laughs> we always bark at each other on the phone. It's kind of fun, especially after a stressful day. Yeah. <laughs> he can go, too, man. I put it on speaker. You would know the difference between a real dog in the backyard. Oh, yeah. He does. Oh, yeah. He's good at it. Want me to read it again? Uh, no, Grace. Grace. Man, my first feeling of Grace, probably the actual Grace of knowing. And I don't know what, you know, that's a, to define it would be one thing, right? You know I mean? What does that mean? But um, I was going to watch this thing start happening when I was able to transfer it to somebody else. That was Great probably answer. when uh, when I watched it working, and, and I'll tear up. I, it touches me big time to talk about that when I saw this thing working in the life of somebody else, uh, because I thought I was so fucking special that it could only be me, right? That I was the chosen one and got to be that. And when I watched myself, that's a little bit of that's tongue in cheek, but uh, that 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 uh, terminal uniqueness, and then watch it start happening in somebody else's life was uh, when a wave of of grace poured over me. Mine was early on. Um, well, Bill, another favorite quote of mine of Bill's, and it's very short, the power of God goes deep. Yeah. Four words. Power of God. Five words. <laughs> um, 
so when I had consequences coming down on me from past behaviors and wreckage and was, I was spared it and I knew I didn't deserve yeah. to be spared it because I should be in prison. I do not deserve to have my freedom. I do not deserve to have a second chance. And I too can tear up and become very humble. Anytime I, and the, the, the learning experience from that whole deal uh, for people who don't understand about an unconditionally loving God, it's not about punishment. It's about your soul's evolution to grow and to stop and change and do all the, do new things instead of the things that aren't working. And so um, the lesson I learned from that is that every time I start sticking that finger out there, man, to point at somebody else is doing wrong, it just pops right back on me. And I remember that one thing I did that I don't deserve to have my freedom today. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. Who are you to be judging that person's path? Yeah. And I'm so grateful for that because I watch a lot of our brothers in the program struggle with that. They're, they're very hard on others. A lot in the parking lot bitching about somebody not doing right. And I'm just like, dude, be careful with that. Because everybody in this room has been spared your crimes. Yeah. And so you can go serve your time if you want to be the judge, jury, and executioner. Not me. I'm very grateful. That was all grace. There's no other word for it. And I really appreciate Brother Luke, our good friend um, at Gethsemane. I want to put a shout out to him because he uses that word a lot in his story. And he helped me to call it for what it is. Mm -hmm. I would call it a lot yeah. of other things, but grace is all. only thing that freaking explains it. Yeah. And I can't even conceive a power that is that loving, that you could hurt his other children and you could cause mayhem on his earth and still be spared. Yeah. And loved. Wow. So, yeah, great, great, great question. Yeah. Great question. Yeah, Shane. yeah. All right. Hit me up. All right. So, so a person has uh, completed their first trip through the, through the steps. You've taken them through the steps and they've had their awakening. What's the next thing you recommend for them to do? It's hmm. an obvious one. Go out and help others. Um, but I'll conclude that. I'm kind of thinking like outside, like a next, like maybe a book to read or something to uh -huh. maybe explore. Or because uh, I was going to add to that, you know, we have a phrase that we use in our particular group: "Spread the juice, spread yeah. the joy." Yeah. So I like that angle too. Yeah. Um, I do get guys who come to me and they're hungry now, right? They want to they want to investigate further, and I I my library is pretty expansive, but it's I know it's not as deep as I wish it was. And I always encourage them to follow their own heart. Sometimes I'll give that suggestion in the book about going to a, a bookstore and just picking up books at random until yeah, one strikes good, you. Good point, yeah. But I'll tell you one teacher that just helped me a lot in my journey that I always try to include in the list if they want to check out things. Well, two books, actually. One is The Spirituality of Imperfection, which we both love. Uh -huh. um, that's a It's a collection. It's written by one of our brothers in recovery. Uh, where he gathered all this wisdom from all these different cultures and tribes, and it's just little short stories um, you can read on the toilet real quick, and they give you some insight and wisdom in that little quick paragraph that's just uh, profound. And uh, and the upshot is, you know, spirituality doesn't exist in perfection, not in perfection, not in perfection. But really, Emmett Fox, um, the guy has just done his best to bring he's so cultured on the real word of the bible which you know for me is tricky language <laughs> but he understands the parables and metaphors for the people who lived in that time and like for instance if you're not familiar with that you, you don't really understand what jesus said if you don't understand that a the people were dumber than dirt but we think people are dumb today can you imagine without the benefit of tv or books or tech education or nothing these are dumb rock farmers living in a desert so one of the most 
profound aspects of any metaphor he uses is that water. Water is life if you're in the desert. Without water, you're a dead motherfucker. And so when he uses that term very specifically, he's really trying to get your attention. And then people get off on this sin and other stuff. Jesus never preached on that. And when just just in the book Sermon of the Mount, when um, Emmett Fox breaks down the Lord's Prayer, yep. when I say it today, I listen to my brothers right next to me on both sides saying it. It's words. It doesn't mean anything to them. And the way Emmett Fox explains it in the history, and I'll make this short, he says, you know, Jesus knew that he was going to be remembered for very few things and that they're going to mangle most of what he said. He knew this. He was a master teacher. How could a master teacher not think ahead as to what he was going to be remembered for? And so he knew he needed to sum up his entire message in a short and easy to remember phrase. And he chose this one prayer. And each word of it is very deliberate. And when you see what Emmett Fox, how he describes each yep. sentence well, lays and it what out. it actually means... And, so, and then you say, say it that way, it has so much more depth, and it really does guide your actions throughout that day. Instead of just, that's the way I was taught. That's how we said it at our church. I mean, they, I don't know, I'm not saying what church is, so that's good. But, I mean, I'll go back with my mom sometimes when she wants me to go with her, and it's so dry, and it's so boring, and nobody knows what the hell they're even freaking saying. So what's the point of saying it? Jesus himself, I'll shut up on this, Talked about the Pharisee at the praying wall. They look like parrots, mimicking parrots. It's one of his quotes. They're just like, he made fun of them. Yep. And yet that's the way most people pray out there. Yeah. They've never really learned what the words mean. Yeah, what it really means. Yeah. So that's why I love Emmett Fox. He's probably the greatest, most profound writer on Jesus' teachings, in my opinion. Well, the Sermon on the Mount was the first book you recommended to me when I was through the steps. And uh, the and I always get it backwards, whichever way it is. I know the book, but the spirituality of imperfection or the imperfection of spirituality. Oh, right. is it the first one, the spirituality of imperfection, uh, was was right there too. And those both have a big impact. And they're the first two books I will share with somebody today Jeez. when they. Uh, and I think one of my copies and one of them is out in circulation at the moment. I, I know wrote, that's what happens. You lend it down, and you're like, okay, I want that. I can't look yeah. my library. What yeah, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Today, books are so easy to get another one of uh, that that's really not a big deal. I'll just buy another one, but I do need to look at that. All right. So, You're up. Uh, this was kind of ruined last night because they already talked about it. So, I hmm. want you to expand on it. Hmm. But I had this question. It was the first question that came to me, actually, that I wanted to talk about. Are you ready for this? Uh, what is your spirit animal and why? Uh-huh. Now, there's this concept for those who don't know within certain traditions, especially Native Americans that they believe that we are connected to the earth and the animal kingdom and that your spirit animal can guide you on your journey throughout this planet. Um, and they would actually include that animal on your totem pole. And so if you want to look up spiritual totem pole, spiritual animals, spirit animal, uh, totem pole, blah, 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 you'll find the definition for each animal. And you can go with the one that you identify with and find out. And a lot of those qualities will be identical to kind of how you act in life. Yeah. So I've done some, I've actually done some work on that prior to recent uh, i'm gonna try to make this brief on that because so bob earl and his teddy bear stories touch me the whole mm-hmm. thing about having a teddy bear and it's always been something when i listen to bob earl talk about that it, it touched me really quickly and the first thing i thought about was the teddy bear and i remember one night going to lay my, my bed my son putting him to bed when he was pretty little, small a lot smaller than he is now and he had teddy bears all over his bed man and one of them touched me and it's mine now and i've carried it around i got a lot of pictures of me with that bear in various places and stuff and a bear sitting on my altar in my bedroom at the moment with a hat on and uh and uh and uh and a mala around his neck uh 
So how that come about, you know, and I actually want to do some more looking into that, but we did it this weekend. We went to a meditation to find your spirit animal, and uh, a lot of people hadn't done that. Uh, I tried to remain open on it, you know, so that to see if I would have a new experience this weekend. Uh, it was once again a bear, uh, as, as it was before. And what was neat about this weekend is they brought you, because like it's a pretty big organization, and just a bear is one thing, right? Uh, they wanted to like have some kind of action or some kind of like what, and they they mined for what the bear was doing or some other kind of thing. Yeah, and expand uh, on to, it. to expand on just bear, you know. And some people have really fancy names, you know. And some people see stuff it's not, you know, like some people are dragons and 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 dinosaurs and you know not traditional animal stuff, you know, not what I would think, you know. I, uh, but mine is what come about was because of as we come through this tunnel and we looked out. There was a bear and two cubs. And it was a mama bear with two cubs. And as I come out of the tunnel, the mama bear stood up and looked right at me. Like, and like, you know, I'm putting my eyes like, see you kind of thing. Like my wow. two fingers, like, you know, acknowledge me. And, uh, and we landed on Vision Bear as my, then that is my animal name in the Mankind Project is Vision Bear. And you identify that. So when you go around and you talk, you say, hey, my name is Dan. I'm Vision Bear. And we, and we and we hold that now it can it can it can evolve too but the bear and the why would be a different question i actually need to look a little more i've done yeah, that before but with that because um i'm objective right so i can see it a little bit different angle it's a model <clears throat> bear raising up with i would say protective protective bear. yeah that's uh that was an adjective that was used in other people's uh mm -hmm. words and, and animals too uh for whatever reason the, the eye contact is where the that really landed with me and where I landed on the vision thing nice. that we looked into each other. Now, what's interesting too is that I've been doing a lot of, uh, I've been, um, it's the synchronicity thing. I've been exposed to a lot of uh, eye gazing, eye contact things of late. And uh, we were doing that, extra, doing those exercises over this week too, over that weekend. Uh, and I kind of wonder if it didn't, that, if that didn't climb into it. But, but yeah, bear. And at currently, newly, vision bear. So we got to give a shout out to our friend Bob Earl, who has passed. Uh, I call him the most revolutionary, uh, anarchistic, um, change it up, uh, free thinking, forward thinking speaker to ever walk the halls of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and you can find him on tapes. Uh, just Google Bob Earl, find his book. Uh, one of his sponsors wrote a book about him, his, his life story. But he has this tradition where he started uh, bringing the child healing into AA about the time that the uh, inner child and uh, adult children of alcoholic movement started in the 80s. And he got pushback like you wouldn't believe. And, you know, prior to that point, alcoholics would tell their story. And you can hear old, old tapes, and they'll start with, I had my first drink at 16, and they'll start from there. And then Bob, Bob was always like, okay, so what happened before that? Something made you take that You weren't born drink. at 16. You weren't that. And so um, the teddy bear was this getting in touch with your child thing. And he started this whole culture in meetings where people were bringing their bears to meetings and upsetting the fuck out of the old timers, man. They were going berserk over this shit. And over the years, he was getting teddy bears. People were shipping him teddy bears and yep. giving them to him at yep. conferences. And, he going to speak and so he didn't want to leave them at home. So he tells this great story of how he would pack up his teddy bears in two suitcases every time he went on a speaker engagement and he'd have all this luggage and he would set the teddy bears up in his hotel room. And he, of course, he wanted the teddy bears to have something to eat. So he put out little bowls of snacks and he set them all up on the bed. And, you know, he said his teddy bears liked to watch the Olympics, especially when the Olympics were on. So he would turn on the TV with the Olympics on and he'd have all their snacks out there. And he said the maids would come in to fix his room and they'd see this spectacle of these bears sitting there watching television. And it was fun. It was lighthearted. And it was that little touch of um, childlike 
accessing those vulnerable emotions you yeah, talked about right, from the weekend yeah. that was missing from recovery. So we owe him a great debt, and he helped me immensely on my sobriety journey. And that is also parallel to reclaiming your original self. So he's a crazy motherfucker, but he is a genius. Yeah, because yeah. he admits it himself. He's basically bipolar. Yeah, <laughs> but he has a cogent message. And he's entertaining as hell. So yeah. I'll check him out. Yeah. All right. Question from you. Oh, is it cup time or yeah, it's cup time? I think I like it. Dan is picking his hand into the cup. He's closing his eyes. He's looking at Bruno outside the window. Yeah. The dogs Bruno, are out playing. The, the dogs are out playing. We're in here working. What about that? Right. Actually, I know that this one, uh, this come. this one came from friends on Facebook. Oh, great. Welcome friends on Facebook. Uh, you mean Facebook can be used for spiritual means and yeah, not for all that right, other crap yeah, on there? Right. This, this came from the uh, mind blown from the spiritual underground Facebook page. Nice. Uh, I would like to know when it comes to family, and in parentheses it says kids. Is there ever a time that you give in when it comes to trying to make amends for the damage we cause? That is from Brian and Tracy. It says, "Is there ever a time that you give in when it comes to trying to make amends for the damage we cause?" I'm wondering if that means give up. Yeah. I, I think, well, the first thing that came to my mind is when Scott Lee, good shout out to our friend Scott, and he gives his full name, so I don't think he's shy about that. Right. Um, we've talked about him on this podcast before. He talks about um, when you make amends, it should be a closed-end proposition. This is not an ongoing proposition. He says amends are very specific. Targeted and specific is what Bill Wilson said. So we're supposed to go in there, address what we did, admit we were wrong, say, I'm here to make it right, give the other person a chance to unload their burden. And if you've ever done amends out there, did not let the other person share what they had to say to you, you were very selfish because that person is hurting and needs healing as well as much as you do to be free of this deal. You guys are carrying a karmic bond together. And then after that, asking them specifically, what can I do to make this right? And listening and letting them give you what they need. And most times after the process of letting them share, you'll be surprised how they will lighten up on you and not demand very much of you, if anything at all, because they've already gotten free from being able to share how you affected them. Um, and then Scott Lee says it's over. So that goes with your kids. It's over. Anything you do after that is working the principles in all of your affairs. Right. So if you're being a loving father and you're, you're doting on your children, you're giving them an extra scoop of ice cream, that's not related to your ninth step. That's more related to your ego and not allowing that you've been spared by grace and your higher powers forgiving you've done the work. Let it go. It's all about today, not looking backwards in the rear view. What can I do today? To practice these principles in my affairs at least i think that's where the question was going yeah i think so too i think he answered it great you know uh, it's tough with kids say, though because you're going to feel that guilt right yeah yeah and i struggle with that all the time you know as uh i am trying to practice these principles but frankly fall short many of the times when i'm when i'm trying to uh deal with those most close to me you know the people that are in that circle that like that you know uh they're a little, also a little thing when you talked about like it's, that is an event and amends and it's an open and closed thing. And, and I think we, at one point, I think you speak of it as balancing the karmic scales yes. or like paying a karmic debt, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and one of the other like things is I don't go back and repay my cell phone bill every month after month. You know, I, I paid last month and that is closed. Right. I'm not going to continue to pay these bills. Or you've paid your past debt. You're not going to show up with more pennies on their doorstep. Then you become a bother. Yeah. Then you become a nuisance. Like, oh, gee, I got to say I'm sorry again yeah now yeah. this there's one, being exception, groveling there's one exception to that rule just like there's an exception to every spiritual yeah. principle that's the way they that's why i like about them they're not hard and fast 
if you go through the steps again with a new sponsor and you find areas that you did neglected and did not realize you did not clean up sufficiently, it is okay to go back and address those with someone. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be real juicy. Yeah. Especially when we talk about those sins of omission where I get yeah. to go back and thank somebody. Yeah, yeah definitely juice on that. So I hope that's helpful. That's, that's a tough one when you have children. Yeah. Ask around for other elders' experiences too because – that's a whole different ballgame when you're dealing with either children who have this disease or children that you've harmed yourself with that. Um, what's one of the coolest things that has happened to Dan in his recovery? Just one. One of the coolest. Wow, yeah, that's hard. Th- I know, right? It comes pretty quickly, though, because as you ask the questions, I like will flash right to something, and I Good. think that's the answer, yeah. right? Trust you know? your gut. Yeah. Uh, not, not go wheeling around. Yeah. Uh, after having spent a year on home incarceration, in a, in which basically, uh, in a, there's some caveats in there, but basically a year under a home incarceration type uh, surveillance, and, and uh, then a year of probation, uh, that trip to Japan, and the very first night. Good choice. Uh, after having, you know, for two years, if I wanted to leave the county, I had to ask permission. And uh, how that whole Japan trip played out where it was supposed to happen in September and it kept on getting pushed out, pushed out 10 days after I was released and signed the paperwork to be released completely off of uh, my corrections duties and had paid my debt to uh, to the through the justice system. Uh, 10 days later, I was on a plane to go to Japan. And then on that Friday night, I was standing on a mountain uh, in Nagasaki, Japan, where behind me was the sun setting over the Japanese ocean. And in front of me was uh, one of the top three nightscapes in, in in the world is the port town of Nagasaki as it was getting dark and the lights were twinkling down there like stars in the sky and realizing a wave of uh, gratitude come over me that, uh, like I said, that just a couple of weeks ago I had to ask permission to leave the county. And here I am halfway across the world standing on a mountain in Japan. Sometimes uh, you'll hear speakers use that phrase like, how do I get here? Yeah. From where I've been. Yeah. And like there was five or six people with me and I was going by myself that night. Regardless, they were going, where are you going? I'm going there. I knew where I was going. It was a gondola carried you up to the top of that mountain. It was the like only way on top of to it. Go there. Huh? I was called to go there. Yeah, I was. I was called to go there. Jeez. And uh, and they followed, you know, and it didn't make any difference. And, you know, and I felt at some level like I was by myself in a way, you know, because I was like, you know, these guys couldn't even possibly begin to understand the feelings that I'm feeling. Hmm. Uh, sitting here and I know at some level I'm not a real quiet dude but that night I was not real talkative uh, I was with me and my with higher, higher power, power. Yeah. yeah there you go yeah and I guys if you're out there go with that when your gut is calling you to do something take that path less less taken and see I had a lot of cool you. stuff but that one is the one that flashed and that was uh, yeah that was so um in that higher power glow beyond probably anything else I can think of so hard to choose one with all the years of sobriety I have. And it's funny to me, it did occur to me that, you know, some of the things you would think would be cool as hell, like working on that film with Brad Pitt and stuff, doesn't even fit, doesn't, doesn't even come close to the list of the real cool stuff. At the top of my list was getting the chance to spend 10 day, days with the Dalai Lama. Mm. Um, his, for those who don't know, the Dalai Lama's brother is actually a professor at Indiana University, <laughs> right up the road from us here. And I got wind through spiritual friends I just happened to meet recently that he was coming to do this thing called the Kala Chakra Ceremony, which is a 10-day initiation ceremony into the Buddhist faith. And it's freaking intensely involved. And he spent the whole first day cautioning people who were there for the 
exoticness of it to not give up their personal beliefs just to join something because it looks pretty. I mean, he really cautioned you. You're welcome to be here, participate, observe, but don't give up and join this if you're not really serious initiate. And I'm sitting there and the, the Buddhists have this great way of doing things where the people who bought their tickets early were in the back rows. <laughs> and I got in late and I'm in the 10th row and I'm like dead center of the guy. He's up on his little pedestal deal and this, oh, no, doing this shit. And he's got all those little monk dudes underneath him right there. And they're all chanting at once and doing the prayers and all that and reading the text. And he read and read and read text for days. And I'm looking down the front row. I mean, obviously VIPs. I got Richard Gere down here and all these other celebrities and politicians and stuff like that. And I'm sitting here, how do you get here? to spend 10 days with one of the yeah. most holy people on the planet. And I like the fact that both of our connections are Eastern hmm. influenced. That is I, interesting. I really yeah. like that a lot. Um, but of all, of all the things, I felt very blessed. And then just to add on to that, there was a one day, there was a world day of prayer and very select VIPs were invited because I was with a musician that was doing an album of some of his, the monks that were traveling with him, their chanting mixed with Gregorian chanting. Um, I'm sitting in the front row of this church, literally 20 feet from His Holiness, right in front of me. And I just had that moment like, you know, I shouldn't be here yep. based on my history. That pinch me kind of feeling, you know, oh, yeah. that you're going to wake up from surreal. this dream in any second. Surreal. Even the light coming through the stained glass and, and all, the whole thing was surreal. World Day of Prayer. And they had representatives from every prayer, uh, every community of faith, um, Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, all of them were the top representatives there sharing that moment of interfaith dialogue, which Gethsemane, where Brother Luke is at, started a lot of that through Thomas Merton. Right, yeah. And his relationship with His Holiness. Yeah. So, juice. That's yeah. what I got. There's another avenue to explore. So, cup, are we cup, on me or are we on a... It's cup time, I think. Is it cup time? Yeah, we'd like to... We talked before to try to see if we couldn't get through some of... Uh, so I'll push the cup to him. We're kind of drawing separately and not in necessarily in any order. But uh, So this one just simply says, learning, it's a question mark on the end, learning to improve conscious contact. And this is by BMO, one of our two, hmm. Brandon Morris's. We have two of those in our group, and we're using last names a little bit, but that's okay. Shout out to Bimo. What's Bimo, going on, brother? Yeah. I, I, by the way, I listened to your talk with him in, in the round table, and Bimo is a seeker. Yeah, I, I like his energy. Yeah, he is he really is. hungry to yeah. to learn and, and develop himself. I think just that dialogue that I tend to have throughout the day. It does not have to be formalized. My faith background was in a church where it's very ceremonial and it has to be formalized go to a certain place do a certain thing to access your higher power but what this program has given me is this conversation that's ongoing throughout the entire day and that's mm -hmm. my conscious contact i'm literally thanking god for that green light i'm thanking him that i avoided that accident i'm grateful i got there on time i'm asking him to when i'm running late to you know help me out and don't be an asshole driver and and get me there when i'm supposed to be there kind of deal I had that this morning, actually. I got behind a very slow-moving Prius. <laughs> Was not our friend. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I'm just joking. Um, and so you just... Uh, it's a very cool thing to not go through this life alone and to really feel that there's a very real force and power behind. Yeah. And sometimes you doubt it. Not just because you get that domain you have it. Like every day I go through, you know, my own human fears of money security and medical issues and you know where's god and help me out and blah 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 but 
If you come to rely upon it, as Bill says in the book, we come to rely upon it, you will find that in the end result, Bimo, trusting in that conscious contact, you will be taken care of. And it's one of my favorite things I was taught from one of my sponsors when he said, we can't guarantee that it will be okay because it is the last two letters of the word shit. And that shit's been going on since the dawn of time out there. Just watch the news. But we can guarantee that if you're doing what you're supposed to do and staying close to your higher power, you will be okay. and You yeah. will be taken care of. And for 35 okay. plus years of walking this path, every time when I thought the freaking world was falling down around my ears, I just waited, stayed in the solution. And I was taken care of. And to yeah. me, that's conscious contact. Yeah. Being protected. It's like having this force field around you going through the madness out there. Great answer. Great way to put that. Yeah. What do you think about conscious contact? The first thing that came to me was that whole adding two thing. You know, I had a whole different thought of my mind went a different direction was like actions to take to continue to improve my conscious contact by continuing to seek new experiences because I think all this stuff like the mankind stuff and the yoga teaching and the other kind of things that I've had opportunities to do going to Japan and doing all that were were activities that created a deeper and, and improved contact with my higher power as I walked along in some trust that there was something here that I was being brought to. There's a reason that I'm standing here doing this today. So what my job is, and you've taught me that, is to, to stand around and figure out what that why am I here today. And in that, I, 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 I continue to increase my, my, my conscious contact with my higher power. And one of the greatest things I got from Don's talk with you, and he said it before, but it, I just, it's like a bullet through me, when he said, you know, if you have a toothache, you don't sit there and do inventory on it and talk to your sponsor and pray on it. You, you go to the damn dentist. So what you said, taking action, putting feet underneath your conscious contact. Yes, yeah. that can definitely help. Yeah. It's difficult. And then we do advise newcomers check out their conscious contact with their sponsor. Yeah. Because your conscious contact could go tell you to be with that girl over there. And your sponsor's like, no, yeah, that's that, not that what you not. want to do yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Always. You know, we've talked about that a little bit. You know, this whole we thing, man. I'm not doing shit on my own anymore. I'm not running my own show anymore. That was the problem all along. When I made that third step decision to not do that anymore, part of that decision impact is with my sponsor that I'm going to keep him in the loop on the shit I'm doing. And I joke around and say, if I'm doing anything more important than buying new underwear, I talk to my sponsor about it. Can we talk about that in a second? Because the third step for so many newcomers, and it was for me, and I spent two chapters on it in the book, is so terrifyingly worded. Turn my life and will over to the power. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. Excuse me? <laughs> Not as an American, I ain't doing that. I ain't turn my life and will over nothing. Yeah. I'm an American. <laughs> and they don't understand the word I use in the book that's so beautiful for that is partnership. I get to have a partner in life that's clearing the path for me, that has more power than I have to guide me to the right thing so that I have a beautiful existence and things always go my way. And when you're doing that, your ride is smooth, man. Mm-hmm. And I always know when I'm not doing it. People will ask, what's my higher power will for me? And I think that's one of the questions down the road we had talked about last night. It's the only question I know about. It's in the, in the cup. Uh, but if we don't get to it, everything goes smooth. And when I'm not doing my higher power's will, I'm running into walls left and right. I'm getting frustrated. Things are not timing out right. I'm getting all this pressure and stress around me. And I know, okay, <laughs> I must be out of the pocket. I must be pushing my own will. But when I'm in concert with my partner, phew, forget about it. Yep. Life is smooth as silk. Yeah. Yeah. I think you asked me a question. Adam. All right. So we kind of touched on this, but I'm going to pick this one because I want to talk about it. Because uh, anyway, uh, you've actually mentioned two names already, and I'll bet you they are two of these. But I'm going to ask, and I'm glad I phrased it this way. Who? 
we listen to a lot of audio. We teach, learn from other people and these teachers that put this stuff out here. Who are your top three speakers? Juice. Because I had actually, I don't know if that's on my list, but that's one of the questions I had pondered for you. Um, I've gone around in my head with this, but I cannot come up with any other answer but Keith Lewis. And the these third. people give their last names, so I'm just going to put them out there so you can find them. Keith Lewis, originally from North Carolina, moved to Florida. I'm not certain he's still alive. I think he is. Um, he has a, an intelligence. It's just keen, an acuity that's just like, whoa, with this man's language and his observations of life and his entertaining nature and yeah. keeping it very human. And he has that voice. Uh, Keith Lewis, uh, you know, I told my sponsor. <laughs> it's absolutely wondrous. And he cries, and he gets very emotional and yep. intense. And so, yes, he's got the full shebang. Uh, another shout-out to my friend Scott Lee. He's got the toolkit. He's a military man. He would frighten me to sponsor me. But I know he'd kick my ass, but um, he's got the goods. And he tells it very specifically and understandably mm-hmm. to teach what he's doing. Um, my third person would be a tricky one because, you know, Bob Earl has to be in there. But if we've already talked about him, so... Let's, get, let's go a little bit odd. There's, Don talked about, there's a man named Don Pritz who's passed away. I think he was originally from New York, maybe lived in New York a long time. He was part of the Colorado gang. Colorado, from what I understand the history, was sort of suffering in their 12-step spirituality. And that happened a lot of times in the history of AA. Burns Brady here in town was responsible for getting uh, the 12-steps back in, in Louisville AA. And this was in the 90s. We owe him a great debt because they had strayed, man. It was all about checking in. I'm just here checking in. I'm checking in. You know, Nobody's talking about the solution. And so um, Don Pritz took that solution to Colorado and touched so many people who are now our giants. Um, and I can't remember the one guy's name who I've heard so many times. Uh, but set, And there's a lady as well who are just powerful giants of spreading this 12-step philosophy. Um, so I have to give a shout out to Don Prince. He's, you ever yeah. find him on tape? You ever heard him mm-hmm. speak? It's very, um, God, he's a smart man when it comes to the principles. So is Don Majors. It's to say you can kind of feel that lineage through Don there. Yeah. So that would be my three. Yeah. Yeah, my uh, top three easiest is is Bob Earl and Scott Lee and Keith Liss. Oh, no shit. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll I kind of thought we would be uh, in You know what? Give me a fourth. Give me a fourth here. Anybody from Louisville, listen to Jack Sullivan. Yeah. Jack Sullivan will kick your butt with his country, real talk. Louisville, hilarious growing up around the racetrack, chasing the hookers and whores and how his daddy's yelling at him, the boy, don't go get you in trouble. Um, yeah. Jack, yeah. Jack Sullivan put a footprint on our town that nobody, I don't think anybody will ever surpass. So he's the other name that came up when I was doing those little searches, thinking I needed to find somebody to, to listen to in recovery that was local. You know, I still don't quite get that and how all that played out, but I found Don the same way. And, and and the other name that would pop up from Louisville was Jack Sullivan. Of course, he's been passed for some time, I think. Yes. And it's funny how different speakers excel in different areas. So when you ask us to pick one favorite. Yeah, it's hard. I immediately am flashing here on Clint Hodges. Clint mm-hmm. Hodges yeah, from Los no, Angeles great, there's has a lot of spirituality yeah. as a lawyer. Our friend Kevin out there, you might want to check him out if you've not really heard him talk. Um, it has a profound spirituality that's very subtle and soft and, and a lot of humility and, and wise. Yeah, so there's a lot of good audio out there, you know, and it was real instrumental to me early on to pour that stuff into my head. Uh, you know, frankly, in the beginning, I wasn't listening to music and things because it was music was like triggering me at some level to because I associated all the music I was listening to with the with the usages uses of the substances and stuff. I just had way too much connection with music to that. 
and uh, and I found and somebody uh, somebody offered me my very first sponsor in 2011 offered uh, uh, Earl H. Hmm. Uh, another one, another one of my God, big time favorites, hilarious. and he's still the guy who I will give to give to first person. If I said, "Do you ever listen to speaker tapes?" He's a new person. I said, "Well, here," and I'll send you a link. I kind of kid around, like in one of the divisions of DTM Enterprises, is speaker tape links. So if you contact me and you ask, I can get you some links to some really good speaker tapes. And well, and if you go to recoveryaudio.com, I think it is that's one, yep. org, yep. and you uh, look up top speakers yep earl h is it on yep. the list yep. there so yep. and uh xa speakers is another one xa yeah. speakers is my and favorite on apple. one apple and has a limited yeah. selection yeah. youtube xa speakers probably i'm going to say from being like probably has the biggest and they also go across to everyone why it's x is because the x is the variable so it's got cocaine anonymous overeaters mm-hmm. anonymous. it's got mm-hmm. all it's got speaker to, of course you know the the traditional aa has got the corner to market in there as far as quantity of tapes available but uh xa speakers has a phenomenal number and there's also a way you can sort what i always tell people to do is you go down at the bottom until it's sort by downloads and it gives you the numbers that how many of them have been down you know it gives you the top downloaded ones from at the top and if you go through the top 10 with those and then come back and see me when you're done with that (laughs) um which um the, that began my journey when I moved back to Louisville and I had a sponsor who was feeding me those tapes on a real hardcore level. The, the original podcast. Yeah. And they saved my life and they gave me what I have today with this movement with even TSSR. And so I will talk to people throughout my journey in the program and they'll say, oh, those are just egotists who are just out there in the limelight trying to see. I said, man, do you know what that takes? Are you willing to do what they do to give up your family life after a long, hard week of working, get on a damn plane to someplace you don't even know where you're going or how it's going to turn out, and meeting people you don't know, and going, hey, how are you doing? you got to be nice to everybody because you're the damn speaker, yeah. right? You yeah. might not be feeling yeah. it that week. Yeah. And you're and only you going get... to get an hour, really, to be oh, on yeah. the spotlight. So. Oh, yeah. And then you come back, and you're exhausted, and your kids want you, and they're yelling at you. Wife's like, where you been? What the fuck? And you got to go right back to work on Monday because you're home late Sunday? Yeah. Good luck, man. Yeah. That is a service work that is unsung. Yeah. And again, man, that's, uh, you know, it tells us to carry this message, right? You know, and you're going to start getting judgmental about one how one person chooses to carry well, it or is you know, asked to brought to it. There's people out there that are going to think, he's doing a podcast? What? Yeah, right. yeah I know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, we again, are. <laughs> you know, uh, you carry your message your way and I'll carry mine mine. I like that. All right. Um, here's my question for you. Oh, boy. Okay. What is one of the most helpful things that your sponsor has taught you, which has served you well over the years? That's a tough question. I can talk first if you want to. I got it. I just, uh, they can have a little dead air for a second while I ponder this. Uh, yeah, right. I have a. I actually just changed my ringtone not too long ago from the Jeopardy music. I kind of thought I, I did that for a little bit. For Remember to form a razor in the form of a question. Yeah. And, uh, and then my phone would ring and it's playing Jeopardy music. And I thought that's kind of a funny energy. Well, it I is like, Keith yeah, Lewis. let's change that. Um, so. The biggest thing, the one of the top things, um, golly, I, and I have to land on this, this, uh, and it's in the, I think it's in the jug too, and it's, it's just a reliance on whatever this faith, this 
dependence, this reliance on this higher power concept, this thing, whatever it is. I plainly say I have no idea what it is. Uh, one of the gifts I say that my sponsor gave to me was that he helped me develop a power, uh, understanding of a, of a power greater than myself, uh, get myself in touch with a, with, a, with, a, with a higher power, and at no time did he ever impart his on me. And I think that's one of the like big things is that you can't, uh, that we reject almost. And that's one of the reasons why we have problems with, why a lot of people have problems with the organized religions is because we always feel like, I think it's, I think it's skewed. I think it's incorrect. I think when you're sharing your concept of your higher power on, with me, I think I incorrectly take that on to believe that you're pushing it on me. I don't, I don't know that you always are. <laughs> I think that's my own ego going, rejecting you. Uh, Cause we always think that, you know, if somebody shares what their higher power is about, automatically think that they're being pushed on you you know now it's one thing if somebody comes and rings your doorbell but even those people are just sharing with you doesn't mean they're trying to force you into anything but i'll back off on that but learning this uh reliance on a higher power and being able to develop my <coughs> own uh and truly rely on it to know like you said a minute ago you know and we always we back off and and at times i will do this better than at other times but like, as I said, the one time about the, the event that I used, uh, when I knew things were changing for me, when I'd like to win and that address had changed and I was supposed to do my home incarceration at my mom's house. And I went to my mom's house and she was back on the pain pills. And, uh, and I knew that I couldn't stay sober in that house. And you simply told me to that, and you know, uh, you, you, I'm going to put one more phrase in a minute, but I'm, you simply told me to pray for my higher power to support my recovery. And you really didn't have an answer for me. Because it was a pickle, and it wasn't a solvable solution. It was a it was a problem beyond our <laughs> our ability to to manage, uh, and 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 that's what I did that week. And I even got lost in the fact that whenever uh, whenever it actually happened and the, the address changed, and uh, and then you brought it to my attention that what I've been praying, what have you been praying for all week? Like to uh, for my higher power to support my recovery and it happened so and so uh, to close on that one last thing was um, a gift a lesson and I heard it wrong at first like I have so many of these other things was to challenge my reliance on my higher power to be able and willing to do that now what I heard at first was that I was being asked to challenge my higher power and that's not necessarily what the way it is it's to challenge my reliance just how hard can I lean on that when I need it so desperately like I did at that moment when I when when I knew I couldn't stay sober in the house and to not stay sober meant getting the full sentence that I was being handed and kudos to the program because when I hear feedback like that, I'm like, I said, I, I came up with that perfect answer. That's not in my DNA. And, you know, I was a bullshitter my whole life. That's how I got through life prior to this program. I didn't know anything about honesty. I just like bullshit, 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 get through it. And so if you came to me with an issue, I would make some shit up. I had like I had to. I had to have some sort of response to give you. And it would be like, go out and buy a car. And buy, just completely unrelated. And the principle of this program will guide you, as it says. There are guides to progress. And thank kudos to this program for giving me the ability to give you an answer, which was the correct answer. I can't do that on my own. I'm, all of my wisdom comes from others, the same as Don said. But I like what he said. After three times, you can claim it as your own. Right, yeah. Yeah, and you know, to some extent, that whole week was a jailhouse prayer. 
it was. It was like that same kind of thing of under that duress type of prayer of going, you know, God, please help me. I don't know what to do, you know, and, and I didn't oh, ask that. for That's anything. That's the best prayer there is. It really is. Yeah. Um, rephrase the question again. Can it's you rephrase the question? Oh, what did I say? <laughs> the gift, the lesson. I oh, the one of the most helpful things your sponsor taught you. Yeah, sorry. You got me so engrossed. I was like, huh. So my sponsor gave me so many things, and they were really his own direct experience wisdom. It wasn't out of the book. He was not a thumper, thank God. I don't think I could have tolerated that. And one of the things he taught me was to take my foot off the accelerator. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah. I, I needed that. I was just driving through life. I, one of my greatest lessons in this world has been patience, and I still hate it. Yeah. I still sit on it every day going, okay, all right, when? I think what I'm waiting for is my own demise. I really don't want to be here. I want to move on to the next deal. You know, I want to graduate, as my old teacher used to tell me. I mean that sincerely. I don't want to die. Don't get me wrong. But I just, I'm impatient. I want to, okay, what's next? What's next? What's, okay, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And this world is very slow moving, man. And just be in traffic or go to a government office or have to fill out paperwork for freaking taxes or anything. Oh, my God, stop. So um, teaching me that lesson, like, dude, just take your foot off the accelerator. I remember you giving me that. And the way he would do that would be like, do you want to go get a piece of pie? You know, even after I was bitching, like, ah! And my energy level was insane back then. And the amount of emotions and terror and frustration and pissiness and resentment tearing through me as a newcomer. And then after I got it out, he would just say, relax let's just enjoy the rest of this night and have some coffee and kick it around and eat some pie and he saved me with that one i i i have to catch myself today i'll run people off the goddamn road not intentionally but it's like go 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 it's yeah. like dude just ease up you'll get there you don't have to freaking push i'm pushing all the time and then people will look at me today and say, you're one of the most patient people I know. And I'm like, oh, my God, you have to be kidding me. Yeah, you do said, not know. But you do. You know, with your <laughs> clients, you don't punch them in the face. He said, I would have punched them 20 minutes ago. And, and I'm like, that's just all the result of being transformed by this program. That's not in my DNA. Yeah. yeah. And so I still struggle with it. But um, thank you to my sponsor, Roger, for saving my life with that. Yeah. Good I stuff. still use it today. Uh, I think we cup. got the cup. Your turn to draw. I just said to my to a, to a sponsor just the other day, take your foot off the accelerator. Jesse, love you, man. What's the happiest or most extreme positive recovery story you have witnessed directly? Jesse S., what's the happiest or most extreme positive recovery story you've witnessed directly? Hmm. Jesse, man, hope you're doing well, man. No, you've been traveling. We miss you. China doesn't deserve you. Get back to the States. Well, as a sponsor, obviously, it's hard to pick just one. Um, I think what I flash on, so I'm probably not picking the best, but just what I flash on is uh, Mike being saved from that prison. Uh, We had an opportunity. I got a call randomly from a woman who said that there's this huge opportunity down at the Dismas House prison here in town that uh, this is like a transitional prison. People getting ready to go into halfway houses and stuff, and uh, they don't have any AA. And I didn't want to do it. And I'm like, oh, my God, another night of my, my week taken up and, you know, but service work. And so I called her back and said, yeah, we'll go in there. We'll take the, I'll get a bunch of my dudes. We'll roll up in there. And we didn't know what to expect. The prison guards were not very friendly to us. They didn't strip us down naked like they did those one dudes going into the prison. But they set us in this little room with all these glass 
windows around it and all the prisoners were being walked by from dinner and they're all making fun of us as new fish new blood and what are these motherfuckers in here for and and you know they're coming in here to preach something blah 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 and they were not very receptive uh, I think in our original group, we had about 12 convicts show up for the AA meeting, and uh, there was one named Mike, and Mike just wanted this like nothing else, and uh, with good reason. He had 53 felonies he was serving, and he was going to be buried underneath prison for the rest of his life. He was lucky to have been transformed, transferred to where he was, because he told me he was at North Point, which is one of the most extreme prisons in our state. Um, and um, he asked me to sponsor him. I told him I couldn't, because I wanted to keep it clean that we were presenting a meeting i couldn't really get involved in deeper although i told him i'd guide him you know but just and he just kept pursuing it and pursuing it and today when i tell my patients that a man with 53 felonies who used to like to run over police officers with his car is now a completely free man off paper there is no record of his he's been expunged by the governor of our state uh, he stands and goes to frankfurt to stand on the senate floor to lobby for felons rights to be able to vote after they serve their time um, he's a social worker with a license uh, and a degree, and he's a minister and serves in that capacity. Uh, he's a father who's able to be there for his grandson because uh, his daughter's out there in the madness, and that grandson would have been in the system. All those stories, obviously, where children are saved because their father or somebody got sober and made that difference and was there. Um, if I could add up the number of things that this man does or has done to be an example of the miracles of this program, um, it truly is one of the most positive. And for those of us who were in the gang, Juice Man, John Michael, uh, a few other people who went down there, that was a very special experience for us. We would come out of there so incredibly juiced up that we would race down Market Street past the home place and we would roll our windows down with the music blasted and hang out the window and scream at them and yell and go, Wah! They'd go, what the fuck was that going by here? Just to take that juice to them a little bit while they're out there smoking and being miserable. And... Uh, Oh, we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, it was a gift for me, and I almost said no to. But that that was it. That transition in Mike was so profound. He would have rotted in that prison, and then his grandson would have been in the system and rotted. And fuck, man. Awesome. Yeah, and that was a story you presented to me when I wanted to doubt what this thing could do. Because I didn't think I, you know, I thought I was in a bind that I wasn't going to be able to escape. And you pointed me at that story and said, that guy did. And uh, and it gave me With some all hope the odds that uh, him. yeah, even worse than yours. Yeah, yeah, yep. And well, uh, what about you? Most positive story you witnessed of somebody's transformation. Yeah, is that what how it it said? Uh, What's the happiest, happiest, or happiest. most extreme positive recovery story you've witnessed directly? Witnessed directly. Somebody that's changed that much, maybe. I get, you know, from a, like, maybe, maybe I could use the word impactful to me, mm-hmm. you know, uh, is, uh, and, and again, you know, it's a flash. So I'll just go with what, what hit me was, uh, sponsoring Quentin. <laughs> there you go. I was going from picking up a guy who was homeless that was, or I was, he was walking out of the woods at the corner of an interstate back in some church property, uh, smelling just like he had been walked out of the woods without a shower for a couple of days and picking him up and doing step work with him and taking him to a meeting and then dropping him back off at those woods again. Uh, and how'd when you he first driving, asked me how'd to... How'd you feel driving away when you would leave him in the woods like that? That's man, I was... I, you know, so many times it's just it's like... I have this habit of staring skyward of like... And, and with a question, like, really? Am I... You know, what do you got me doing here? 
and and in the beginning it was very questionable and i didn't know you know i really honestly i didn't know i was like you know because i wanted just as similar to what you said you didn't want to do it i didn't want to sponsor him and i would tell you i don't know how to do this i got no experience that relates to this dude's world nothing and uh and but i you know i did the same thing with him as i did with everybody else and you know what's trip was you know just exactly like i said a little bit ago that touches me is as when i watch people start honestly and putting their heart behind doing this work and i see that they've made that shift internally that they've committed themselves to walking this path i watch things happen and, and miracles start happening you know it was a couple of weeks later dude was living in a transitional home or recovery place downtown you know and, uh, and I had nothing to do with that. You know, I didn't arrange any of it. It was one of the things, one of the gifts that was given here was I didn't do anything for this guy, really. I mean, I gave him a couple bucks once in a while because he didn't have shit. And I'd take him to a meeting and I would work the steps with him. But to watch that transformation of a guy from from that coming out of the woods thing to uh, to uh, basically to some level being like more or less a man, you know, a system manager down at one of these recovery homes now. Uh, that that was that impacted me of the power of the program. And I like what you said about because a lot of people get intimidated by the prospect of sponsorship, thinking you're in charge of saving the guy. Now that's God's business. And so what do you do? You pick him up. You share your experience, strength, and hope. Maybe you shuffle, shuffle a few dollars his way where warranted. That's it. Really, that's it, man. That's all you gotta do. You ain't responsible for nothing else. Um, and I love what you said about. I didn't have any experience with that, so I didn't know how effective I could be. I hear that all the time from people, and I'm like, excuse me, you have the solution. Who cares whether or not you've been homeless yourself? I had never been in prison like Michael had. I don't have his experiences with the police officers, thank God. Yep. I didn't have to go that far. It was real early so, in my sponsorship. But I had the solution. I had the way out. And I can relate to being a down-and-out, powerless, dumbass drug addict, period, yeah. end of story. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who say, well, you know, I don't know about sponsoring somebody who's on drugs. I only drink alcohol. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, what are the parallels? Did you shake coming off alcohol? Yeah, that's what draws. Did you puke? Yeah, well, they puke doing that, too. Did you ever drive a car and run it into something? Yeah. It's all the same, and yet they'll say, well, I don't have experience with that. Of course, you have the solution. Yeah, right, yeah. Who cares about your experience? You can get this guy out of that if he'll do what you did. Yeah, yeah and it completely broke that wall down for me, that, that limitation of that. I mean, it just totally, it, it, it smashed it, to use Bill's, <laughs> that, that smashed delusion. any delusion that there was some wall or some limitation where sponsorship was like you had to say, well, I can't sponsor this guy or that guy because of. Uh, well, it, I, it all I, went away. my patients will say, uh, some old guys say, well, because I'm so old, I, you know, you're young. Yeah. Well, are you kidding me? You weren't young once? Yeah. <laughs> but that's our thing. We only build up walls to say why this won't work for us, right? I mean, right. it's like, well, if there's a trait of well, a, the alcoholic. I sponsored four gay men in my time, and I'm not of that persuasion, but that didn't prevent me from being effective for yep, them. Yep. Yep, and uh, yeah, well, I've started sponsoring my first female mm-hmm. through TSSR. Yeah, and, uh, and I feel the gut in there. Is we need it, strong ladies of our program who already have recovery to come in and help these ladies, and they're dying. They want help. They want to start the process. And we said, well, higher power, what do we do? We're supposed to be of service, so we're going to step up and do this. Don't judge us. Nobody else is helping them. We're just doing the best we can to fulfill that gap. And then they can become the strong ladies who will be there for the next ladies who come in. Yep. And she come and ask me and whom I say no. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, again, I mean, why would I, after going through what I did with Quentin and that, and that, you know, now I'm going to stand and go, well, I can't do this. And mm-hmm. yeah, no, I know better than that today. 
And you're on solid spiritual ground. We have that tradition in our program about men work with men and women work with women for people's protection from people who are not spiritually fit. But if you're spiritually fit, uh, Bill says you can go anywhere and do anything, stay on the firing line of life, and God will protect you. Yep. Plus, have you have a sponsor you're there. accountable to and other people you can refer to if it gets to be a little bit wonky. With one of my gay men, it got to be wonky. And I explained, went to my sponsor, and we had a good talk, and I talked it out with my dude, and it just wasn't the right fit. The other three states over. Yep. So um, I think you asked me a question now. Is it my turn? Yeah. All right. So this whole TSSR thing. If. You could take a stage, a national stage, that somebody would invite you to be on a show someplace the where you was going to get one opportunity. What would that be? Thank you, Detroit. Drop the mic. Uh, oppor- wow, okay. One opportunity? Yeah, I'd just say if you were going to get to be able to go out, and I'm a little bit detached from like mainstream stuff, so I don't even know where the big place would be if you could, where the voice would be heard. Who, whose audience would be receptive, that kind of energy on if you was going to pick some place that you were going to get to be invited to go share the All TSSR right. so message. You just, you just tagged me. This is going to be a combo. This is going to be a combo round question because I have a question similar that you can get your response on. That I'm going to give the answer to that and then give your answer to your question. My question that's along those lines was: Do you have a secret recovery related dream, something to achieve in the halls of recovery in your future? And for me, that was to speak at the International Convention. At the International Convention, they've just raised the age limit last time we went. Um, Used to be over 40 years of sobriety, which I'm getting close to. Now it has to be over 45 years of sobriety to be classified an old timer. And the old timers get to sit on the floor of the Coliseum, wherever we are, with 50, 60,000 people, 70,000, however many people show up. And they get special treatment, VIP, and then there's a drawing. They all put their name in a hat for Saturday night, and they pick 10 people randomly to come up and speak for 10 or 15 minutes. And, of course, they always have to use the cane to pull these guys away from the mic because they all want to share. But I have a secret recovery dream that I would love to do that and address my brothers and sisters for what this program has done to me one day. But as far as a national stage, I guess, I mean, if I'm going to be the most effective, you have to go to the people who have the most power. And in the media, there's nobody probably more powerful for influence uh, than Oprah Winfrey. She has the Bill Gates power in that realm, the Warren mm-hmm. Buffett power in the financial realm. And uh, um, she has that Book of the Month Club deal. And I even refer to her in one of my stories in the book during inventory. Um, and so I think she has a spirituality that has evolved over the years, anybody that watches her can see it very clearly she's grown tremendously she's had a lot of great influences from poets and writers Um, but I still think there's something she could get out of these 12 steps from really the way we understand and do them that I think could take her spirituality to another level and I say that with all humility obviously it's Oprah Winfrey she's doing fine right but I also watch her still tortured by some of her inner demons on a level that from a recovery perspective, I sit there and I go, you could really get something out of going through this process that um, nobody's brought to you yet. They might have brought the 12 steps, but they're not really giving it to you the way we can give it to you in this book. And I agree. So, um, yeah, I mean, why not go for the gold? I think she has the most influence to carry it to the most people. If she put her sanction on that, yeah. overnight we would have meetings everywhere. Yeah. Well, I, I ask that partially as like a manifestation type of question. Hmm. Thank this you. part of that is putting that out in the universe through this. Scares the crap out of me. Yeah, I, I would bet. tell her something like, Oprah, I don't know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> 
And uh, the same kind of thing, you know, uh, I think we have something in common. I might be mistaken, but I think Oprah was also on both our four steps. It was on mine. It was on mine. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, You'll have to call us, Oprah, to find out what that's all about. And then when you do, you can arrange to have me out and we'll talk and spread this to you as our word. Yeah. So what was yours, either secret recovery-related dream or uh, stage to be able to Again, I flash right to it and, uh, and and I'm actually have taken some action to uh, to maybe have make that happen. Uh, I won't be on Joe Rogan's show talking about this message. Juice. I mean, in the world I that with? I live with. Can on, I go with? Yeah. I'll let you have most of the mic time, but I want to be there. The, uh, the, uh, as far as like in my, where I like to play, and I don't know, he's the person who has that probably is responsible for me sitting here doing these podcasts today. No doubt. Uh, no doubt. Is, uh, is from watching him and from an audience standpoint, uh, he is the king. He's the ruler when it comes to, uh, interview kind of thing and, and exposure. And, uh, so yeah, and that'd you be. actually applied. Yeah, I sent a note uh, already, and uh, you know, and I'm going to be persistent in that too. Says one note, I'm not going to, uh, I'm stop, I'm not going to stop. I will get, I will be patient, and uh, but but I will not stop with one. I'm going to continue to. And I would challenge try. Joe if you're even one of his guys or anybody bothering to even check out that lead, right? I would assume, I hope that they check out leads they get and not just dismiss people because you're not of a certain stature. But when you're going with people who have a certain stature, you're missing people who could potentially be the next game changer, the next dude that everybody's going to talk about. That's what the Ted talk deal is about. You know, you're going to get that other voices in there, people who don't get the the platform to speak. And um, there's also that dynamic. And I see this all the time in my hometown. Uh, where we don't appreciate my my spot my te- spiritual teacher taught me about this when Jesus said a prophet is never honored in their own land, mm. <laughs> and and that's true. When like in Louisville, when we go look for a new police chief, it can't be anybody from here in town. We got to go way over to Houston, bring this guy in, and he may be jack shit, but you know he's from Houston, so he's gonna be good. Yeah. And we never appreciate what's in our own backyard, and we never appreciate the people who are up and coming. At one time, Joe Rogan was a little guy starting out yep. in his little deal. Yep. So, and I don't really see him doing and one time that. Oprah I will was challenge too. him on that. I don't see him bringing the underdogs up there yeah. who he thinks have something to say. I'm not saying bring somebody on here who doesn't have a good talk to have for your show, but somebody you're not considering because, oh, well, we're going to have Kevin Hart. We're going to have this philosopher, this scientist, and these people are national. You know, yeah, yeah, bringing the superstars raises, on. That raises your name. But then there's also this philosophy that when you reach a certain level of achievement, you're supposed to turn back and help the next guy, at least in our program. Yeah. And I think he would have honor that i think he would dig that and i don't know if we can somehow include that in our approach to him and again i'm not just trying to pump this for us and i know dan's intentions are pure too we want to just help other people here and even joe doesn't even know about this 12-step message you know we don't we don't care you smoke pot right that's not the message the message is development of yourself yeah as he's into with all the things that he does the one thing i keep saying is i don't know anywhere else where you get these concrete tools to be able to actually process and 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 work with this stuff there's a lot of like metaphysical turnover and let it go and i'm gonna confide in you and i'm gonna release energy in order to get over certain events in my life and and a lot of this kind of stuff but i'm not found anything i've not seen anything that has actually concrete put the pen to paper uh don talked about that about being your best friend is the pencil and the paper and there's some power about sitting there doing that and that's what uh that's what this you know the core of this work when we get into four and five and that kind of thing of of sitting here and doing that personal inventory where you actually get to um put this uh, like well, we get to put this stuff where it belongs right and we get to see our patterns 
We get to put this stuff where it belongs in the past. Instead of continuing to carry it with us, we get to clean out that can that we've been carrying around. It's got all that sludge in it that we think everybody else smells. And then I can walk up to my brothers and stuff and know my soul has been cleaned. These tools do that. We flashed on Don at the same time because one other thing Don said, he says, I think our power took to pity and made this for the stupid people and drunks. <laughs> and yeah. that's what we have. We have a program that's understandable. If you're going to go to this Kala Chakra ceremony I'm talking about, uh, you're not going to get nothing they're saying. This is Buddhist faith is deeper than Christianity in terms of precepts and the thing that you have to do to actually be a true practicing Buddhist. Yeah. Um, not even close, like ridiculously deep. So, because um, that's why a lot of people are attracted to it. And I was too at first. Like, oh, I don't have to have all this dogma. And this doctrine, like there is encouraged, oh, forget about it, pal. There's way more in Eastern faiths. Yeah. And so um, there is nothing that's as understandable and easy to do than this. And the only reason this book is so big was the details. Like, you know, the devil's in the details. And if you're going to get the full juice that we have, you need to know all these tips and tricks of the trade. And that's why the damn book is so big, folks. I did not choose that. If I read a smaller book, Hey, that's great. Yeah, you weren't counting words or pages too. when you wrote it. You wrote it for the content, and it's completely thorough. I wrote it with the guide of my higher power, and he said the people who are living in Nowhereville who don't have access to another person who has this solution need all the details to be able to do this. And I tell people, this has everything you need to do the process. Yep. Yeah. Just somebody to get for your fifth step, yep. and then they have to read something in here to be able to do the fifth yeah. step right. Yeah. And when we say right, it's right by the methodology of the experience we've learned all these years. People are out there thinking they've done this 12 steps. It's like, no, actually, there's deeper level recovery. I talked to our friend last night, Dogman, about that because he's curious. He's sniffing, man. He is sniffing hard. I'm not sure he's ready to get off his little stuck stump yet with my energy field. But he's interested. And he was asking me about it. And I said, well, you know, we go to these meetings and it's right in our face. We talk about it how people have different levels of freedom, different levels of recovery. And you'll say, oh, that guy, man, he's got some juice. And this guy, he's got so much juice, I hate him. And this guy over here, I'm not going to take my dog to get sober with him. And we talk about it, but we don't ask him, where are you getting that? And that's what I wanted to do in this book is a resource to say, here it is. Yep. This is what I was given. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think uh, we're... Cup. Cup. More to our 40. Thank you for all the questions. Uh, we can start speeding things up because yeah. I don't want to get these. Ah, our good friend Nick. How you doing, Nick, out there? Uh, how do sober alcoholics become a, quote, fellow among fellows in their normal lives? How do they populate the normal jobs and careers of the very systems and institutions that have sickened them and still remain spiritually healthy? I'm going to read that again. Uh, this is like a bonus round question. Yeah. It's real deep. How do sober alcoholics become a fellow among fellows in their more normal lives? How do they populate the normal jobs and careers of the very systems and institutions that have sickened them and still remain spiritually healthy? Wow, that's juicy, man. That's like, how do you keep going in your um, path and then not get distracted while you're going back to your normal life? Because it's easy for us to be spiritual in the halls, right? I can talk a good talk at the microphone and then I have to go out and go slip at my work and do my little yeah. shit carrying jobs. I carry shit here. I mean, that's true for me, Dan. I actually carry urine every day. Well, not every day, but at least <laughs> twice a week over to the hospital. And it's like, yep, I got a master's degree so I can handle people's urine. So it's, <laughs> it's just part of the slip in the job, right? So what do you think about that question? Man, that is a, uh, I wish I could answer it. I have detached from 
you know, in some level when I talk about this finding my true purpose and helping other people find theirs. And I won't say that's not for other people, but my own experience is that uh, is, is, is getting out of that, is removing myself from that, that system and institution world to the best that I can, right? I mean, I'm never going to be able to unwind from it because I'm always going to have oh, to be dealing. you're doing pretty damn good. With, uh, uh, yeah, but I mean, I almost will get wound right into the unemployment that circle for a while there. Yeah. And uh, and right now I'm dealing with some medical issues with this leg, you know, so I'm wound up into some system and institution stuff, so I can't, like, remove myself completely. But from an occupational standpoint, I have, well, I haven't done that. Higher Power's done that. <laughs> uh but some of us, I think, are also drawn to be in that, to be that lantern out there in that middle of that stuff, you know, and 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 to be there, uh, you know. And I think, uh, like, I think our level of connectedness to our ground, being staying grounded in our work, and and that's something else. A gift has been handed to me among many others is this this desire to like stay like at a level of connection that's uh, maybe somewhat people, a lot of people think might be a little crazy. Of, of how connected I stay through these groups and Facebook and, and other kind of social media things. Uh, and, and I don't really think of our group as a social media aspect, really. I don't think those, I think those are private. That's nothing more than a private room. So to translate, you're saying that I have this connection with my sober recovery friends and spiritual friends that can guide me when I'm in this other world of people who are not connected or spiritual. Right, yeah. And I kind of walk with their glow on me when I'm elsewhere. Uh-huh. Well, you, I glow, carry that. Right. you were glowing last night and these people who have more time in that other program were coming up to you saying your energy level is wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I draw that from others. I think, I think I do that. I think I draw that from my community more so. And, you know, from a higher power thing than, than any other, because I certainly won't take credit for myself. I don't know where that comes from. I'll take a different angle on the question that uh, I run into having a lot of time and sobriety. I think we're meant, you know, Jesus said, and I, you know, if I, if you ever told me back then that I get to a place where I'd be quoting Jesus, but now I understand him to be a master teacher and not related to the religion that was made by man around him. Um, what he said, most people will agree with. You can talk to anybody on the street corner and say, do you think he'd preach some good things? They'll say, yeah, I'd like some of the things he said, right? Like Doobie Brothers, Jesus is all right with me without all the baggage that comes with it. But, um, he said we're meant to be in the world, but not of it, which means I believe that there's a purpose to us having to walk the human journey. And part of the human journey is, as I jokingly say, occasionally I have to lay on a table on my side and be put to sleep and have a 30-foot tube put up my ass every now and then for a colonoscopy because I have a family history. My dad died from colon cancer, mostly related to his alcoholism and smoking cigarettes. Um, and I'm supposed to go through that journey. I'm supposed to be part of that. So when I'm carrying urine over and I'm doing it, keeps me in a humble place. Yeah. And because what happens to these old timers is we get full of ourselves, man. And it's really hard for me to walk into my institution and be filled with all that juice and blow everybody out of the water because then it becomes arrogance. Then it becomes this little conceited ego thing where people are like, oh, who does he think he is? And so I try to actually submit myself, lower myself to like be just fit in, be one of the workers here, be the guy that carries urine, urine over with a sense of humor. And every time I do, my boss or somebody over there, my, I mean, it's boss, boss, like CEO, or one of the nurses will always see me and say, oh, I got the box of piss. He says, that'd be a great name for a band, box of piss. <laughs> I say, yeah, it would. But they always make a comment and I just take it, you know, yeah, 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 I'm the piss guy, I'm carrying the piss. And uh, I think that's a humility that this program has given me that I'm meant to walk through these. I can be a fellow among fellows by being humble. 
uh, when my people show up for aftercare and they're so loving towards me and they stay late and they don't want to leave and they're mm-hmm. all like, they bring in that energy and everybody's like, what's going on in here, man? You've got so many people coming back and they're all juicing all over the place. And I, I they got the solution. You know, I try to always give the program the credit, not myself. So I think in that, to answer your question, Nick, being a fellow among fellows is to be able to do it quietly. Mm-hmm. Uh, watch Brother Luke. I mean, everybody looks up Brother Luke. And, oh, yeah. Brother Luke, Brother Luke. And he's just like, huh, just another drunk. I'm just trying to make it through like you are. And that's what everybody loves about him. When they yeah. have to talk to him, they're expecting right. this guy to be overwhelming. And so um, that's what I try to do. I, I have to walk through this world and do these little chores and wipe my butt when I take a shit and uh, have sex and do things that are just maybe not on this high plane of spirituality, but it's part of the human journey that feeds my soul and educates me on a spiritual level. I can use it for my spiritual growth. Yeah. So... Um, I have a proposal. Why don't you read me one more question? I'll read you one more question, and then we'll see how many of these. We'll go through the cup as quick. Do speed rounds on the cup? Yeah, that sounds good. It's hard to pick one last one if you want to take a moment to look over and see which one you want to address. What's your number one recovery pet peeve? Intolerance. What triggers you? Intolerance of any kind. Um, as a child, I hated hypocrisy and they're very closely related. I could see it even, I think every alcoholic can, we are great observers and we can see right through people when they're full of shit and they're saying one thing, doing another. This is what gives us issues with institutions and our teachers and why we get labeled the bad kid, the rebel, because we can see your bullshit. And, but intolerance, man, for people, especially who claim to be religious and spiritual and know Jesus, they're some of the most intolerant motherfuckers on the planet. And, and, and very clearly, that master teacher told them, you cast the first stone if you're free of sin. And yet they'll just, whoop, transgenders, gays, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow, what the hell? How far have you gotten from the message? And within our program, our intolerance can decide our sobriety. Yeah. And Bill said, love and tolerance is our code. Mm-hmm. Now, what is a code? That means a mode of which you're supposed to operate. Every decision you do, every action that comes from you is supposed to guide you by that code. And I don't see that from a lot of our old timers. And shame on them. And I hope somebody pulls up on them and straightens them out on that shit because they're damaging newcomers. Yeah, I went to that AA meeting, but I said drugs and they jumped my shit. Well, fuck them. You're trying to save your life. And they just consigned you to go out and die, which is what... Alcoholics Anonymous went through Tradition 3 in the 12 and 12 when the first drug addict showed up on their doorstep. And they were, oh my God, he's going to ruin it. These down and out perverse drug addicts, especially in the 40s. That's when they showed up. And the one guy said, well, fuckers, what would your master do? Jesus, at that time, that's all they knew. They said, what would he do? Would he just cast them out and say, fuck you? Or would he try to help them? And that's what they did. They tried, they helped them, and they helped start Narcotics Anonymous, which Narcotics Anonymous does not give AA that credit that they deserve. They kind of hate on AA sometimes. Not generally, I don't want to make general observations, but I've seen this. And so, yeah, intolerance of any kind, Bill Wilson, our leader, said will kill us. Good answer. Any kind. Yeah. What would you say? Uh, I was thinking more of a, like a, a particular thing that I want to hear. So when I asked the question and you answered that's that, I, and I like that, that the answer comes back, not necessarily the question that I was thinking, I was thinking like a triggering statement or when I hear something that says something and, and I instantly like wish that nobody would, well, one of the things that triggers me more than anything else is when somebody says like that their higher power is testing them, especially when it comes to using alcohol or drugs. 
that they think that like that they're being tested and I love in the book and I think I've, Scott Lee's also taught that to me that it's like if you were a little child if your little child was trying to walk out and moving from the coffee table to the chair and how they do when they're hand over hand trying to figure out how to do this walk not unlike we're trying to do when we're first in recovery trying to walk this sober life and it's very shaky ground our legs are certainly not under, underneath of us and then me as my kids higher power reaching out and doing a leg sweep and knocking his legs out from underneath of him uh, I wouldn't, or putting tripping obstacles in the way to see if I could mess him up. Uh, that's a, That just makes no sense to me that my higher power is not going to be on my side. And that's part of that uh, reliance on that. It's for my good, not for, uh, not, not, not something that's up there trying to trip me up. And I think qualifying statements that are very absolute. And the word that comes to my mind is must. And one of the assignments at the healing place in the old days, I don't know if they still do it when a person was not following the community rules, is they would make them go through the entire big book and find all the musts in the first 164 pages. And I believe there's like 32 or 64, somewhere in that range. And uh, and so we're a program of contradictions. We say, well, it's a program of suggestions, yeah. but you must do this. And I get that because our lives are at stake, and mm-hmm. I needed somebody to talk to me that way. But when I have an old-timer in a meeting who's like, you must believe in a higher power. Yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. You just scared that guy way out the door. Um, we gotta be careful about that kind of language because I always ask people to turn it back on yourself. Would that have caused you to stay or to leave yeah. if you had heard that when you first came in? Because we forget what we were like when we first yeah. came in. Yeah. So, and I do cringe a little bit still to this day when people bring up God in certain ways in the program. Like, oh, yeah, me too. What, how's the newcomer feeling about that one? Yeah. Especially if that J word is dropped, man. And I, yeah. just like you, you know, and I, yeah. and I actually, you know, I'm way better with that today. And I actually quote a lot of stuff. I, I, I like a lot of things. I had a big resentment against the Bible for a while. And today I'll quote a lot of things in there that, uh, that, I that I see the spiritual message partly because of you, partly because of Emmett Fox, probably other teachers like that to let me see that in a different light. But, but I still, if somebody says, Jesus, man, I flinch. <laughs> Not for me really so much, but for whoever's sitting in there that might be taking some kind of, might be the last meeting they come to because of that word is used. One person only changed that for me. And that was Marion Rice, my spiritual teacher. And she was my salvation in that area to change my opinion that you can use teachers for what they taught and not listen to the baggage that other people had put around them. Right, yeah. Just look is... at the statement itself. Just look at what it's presenting, the principle. Do you agree with it? Does your gut, not your head, does your gut go, hmm, that actually sounds right. Sounds like truth because your gut always knows truth right. from bullshit. All right, we're going to jump through these questions, get as many as can. This is a long one. Here we go. Our good friend Tom S., who's doing great, brand new. I should say brand new, first year, mm-hmm. uh, but really kicking ass. He says, let's say you came across a fellow in an airport, and you were both waiting for different flights. I like these story questions. Yeah. And this person mentioned that they are in recovery, but having a hard time with keeping a daily program. This person asked you for specific advice on what they should do every day to maintain an optimal state of daily recovery, but you had less than five minutes to answer. What would you tell them? pondering yeah well obviously prayer um communication if you're tricky with that word prayer i said start out your day uh with some quiet time to get your connection right before you go out the door that always helps me immensely to not be in conflict with the world and then the second thing that immediately came to mind was being of service to others and that is a wide open arena of opportunity it doesn't mean you're sponsoring somebody it doesn't mean you have to take on big commitments but hold the door for somebody that you see is struggling let somebody go ahead of you in line and smile instead of saying, fuck you, it's me first, which is, I find myself falling into that as well. It's part of our programming. Then this fishbowl in America is like, oh, selfish, self-centered, selfish, self-centered. 
And I like when Robin said that at the meeting there, and I actually said, you're getting in my way. I, I laughed hard at that. It's like, yeah, I go through life sometimes feeling that way. But if I'm of service, looking for opportunities to be of service, um, there is no greater thing to keep me in the pocket of my daily program of spirituality. Where can I help out? What can I bring to the situation? Yeah. Uh, something that's important to me, and I think, you know, as far as like something that keeps me grounded is my connection to these other people. I mean, that's something that I always, I have assignment today. Staying for, in touch. I have assignment for my new guys today that I ask them to reach out to new people, and I give them people, and I say, hey, you call this guy. I want you to call, you know, sometimes I will like give them three and usually I'll like reach out to those folks and I'll say, Hey man, I'm getting so-and-so so they can kind of know that the dude's going to be calling and that's an assignment, uh, that I've asked them to do to start broadening this connection, broaden my safety net so that I'm not just relying on a sponsor alone, uh, for that phone call when something, when I, when I had, when I hit that spot that I need some help. Uh, there's nothing, I mean, I still say that the phone is the most powerful tool I have in my pocket to help me move through my day because I can talk to other people and I need to reach out because I cannot fucking do this alone. And one of the most powerful tools that served me over the years, Tom, is, is switching it up. I think with a daily routine, you get stuck in a rut and that, and you get bored and then you stop doing it. So do something new every now and then, like Dan going on this kind two. of project deal, add to um, watch a new movie on Netflix that's spiritually based. Um, watch, you read a new book, go, mm-hmm. to, go to the library, just pick something out at random. Uh, feed, feed yourself a new YouTube or a new speaker on a podcast. Um, so it's just not the same old saint. We are creatures of habit, and that's yeah. natural for us to fall into that. And then we become dry. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, so, if you like, if you if you develop this little network of people too, and you ask them, you know, say that's a good way to open a conversation and dialogue. We always call these people, and we don't know what to say. I don't have that problem anymore because uh, I will talk your damn deer off. But call somebody and say, hey, man, you got any ideas for something new I can do today? Got a new book, movie, uh, new meeting, speaker, you know, and begin some dialogue like that. It's an easy way to open up uh, a dialogue with somebody that you've not maybe talked to before. That's a great suggestion. Ask them where you get that glow in your eye. Yeah. Because like they you always did, want to you give did it, with it right? those guys from Mankind Project. That's how yeah. you got involved. You say, where are you getting that? I see yeah. something in you. Right. All right, BMO, good friend. Do you remember concrete examples of spiritual growth? BMO says, do you remember concrete examples of spiritual growth? I know I grew a lot when I started doing those retreats. Personal personal growth, because it was like a total giving of myself to somebody else. And at those times, uh, and I choke it up talking about it too, at times I left myself and I'm in total service of my brothers. I mean, 100%. I am here like a butler. Kind of fluff your pillow. Are you hungry? You thirsty? Close the fucking door. Completely, yeah, close the fucking <laughs> door. Uh, I get in a complete service mode there and then I find, so that's, that's certainly one of the places I know is a concrete evidence of spiritual growth is when I completely leave myself in service to others. And I think for me, it was early in recovery when I decided to go to that spiritual group, Key to Life, where I met Marion, my greatest teacher, and it almost didn't happen because I saw this guy in my group who was on fire, and I wanted what he had, but I was too afraid to ask him. And then when he told me what it was, I immediately, my mind shut it down and said, oh, no, that's some sort of cultish, weird-ass stuff. Yeah. And I would have prevented my own juice. So my spiritual growth is fighting through that and saying, yes, I'll go. Yes, I'll try that. All right, we got, uh, uh, here we go. 
These things are hard to unfold. Dan's going to do a good job of hiding. <laughs> All right. Tony. Tony. Killa. How do you know you're on the right path spiritually? It's another one of those things, man. When you're talking, we talked about that a little bit earlier about God's will thing, right? It's when I'm in the flow is my best thing. My favorite saying today is when my compass needle is pointing, pointing in my true north. And I feel that because the, the rails start getting greased mm-hmm. and things to begin to be easy. And mm-hmm. I'm not fighting to get there. It's my biggest, easiest thing. And it's so, uh, it's the thing you got to build, you know. It's the thing that comes in tune with you after for a while. Because I know when I'm not feeling that, man, it is time to retreat. You know, and go sit and be still or something. Because uh, fight, that fighting world is just not for me. And for me, to keep it on a more practical level, which your answer is absolutely perfect. I love it. Is um, I talk, call my sponsor. Yeah. Because I've got a couple of guys right now. One of them keeps saying I, I, I. And then he admits, I know I'm saying I. It's like, dude, why aren't you calling me? This is a we deal. And then I got another guy who I gave a specific direction to last week. And he came back to me and said, well, that went bad. And I said, yeah, did you call me? I told you to call me about this. You didn't know. So to know you're on the right path spiritually, call your sponsor. Yeah, right. Yeah. Check yeah. out what you're doing. Yeah. Ask him for his suggestions. Perfect. And then higher power can work through him because he's an objective person yeah. and give you insights you don't have. Yeah. Great answer. Um, reaching in the cup here. All right. Bebo. What helped you overcome the fear of being all in, getting in the middle of this thing and turning it all over? What helped you overcome the fear of being all in or chips all in on the table, as I used to like to say, getting in the middle of the boat, getting in the middle of this thing or turning it all over? And I got another one of those uh, vague answers in a way. You know, I was pinned into putting my chips in the middle of the table in the first place. I'd say I was backed into a corner. I couldn't, I didn't see any other escape route and I really didn't think this one would work. But uh, I'd had some, some stuff with recovery in the past and it looked like the only fucking avenue available to me. It really did. It was like, okay, do this or go to prison. There's your choices, buddy. And I was convinced that I was going to prison. So that first started me. So it's like a two-step question. I was forced into it. I'll say my my first and second steps were forced upon me at some level in an observatory watching it, you guys because you presented me with a man who had had 50-something felonies and had escaped this thing. I heard some other people say, I'd never seen a guy go to prison who had worked these 12 steps. Uh, I started looking around. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Me neither. Uh, and, but, so the next thing chips all in was seeing this happy, joyous, and free and starting to get this feeling that there was more to it and going, man, if I put this much into it before, it appeared to me that my level of recovery was as much, uh, was related to how hard I was going to work at it and working at it was putting my chips in the middle of the table and going all in and not keeping my, the webs my safety nets connected to outside you know when i was able to actually drop those off of the other things and bring them all to the middle of the circle and saying okay here's my this this is where i'm putting my commitment i had a two-fold answer too because at the beginning i had no options either i told you about being homeless or doing this deal so it was easy for me to choose the deal because i'm not a homeless dude but later in life when i found this solution at 18 years sobriety i had a complete shift of reinvestment and getting in the middle of this thing when I had a message to carry and that came as the result of these new sponsors, Mm. these new teachers coming into my life and giving me a conviction in the truth of the power of this thing that I was like, I can stand firm on that. And I watched that last night in the mankind project when these people would stand firm with the talking stick and say, what I have is of importance 
It has depth and, and, and weight and I'm gonna honor it and share it because this is, this is valuable. And I didn't have that before. My message was really all over the map. But when I had a solid ass message of fucking real recovery, it put, that's when we started doing the prison thing and started, when I gathered my little dudes around, we were the holy rollers. I didn't have that before. I did not have that boat around me until I started sharing it with others and sponsoring people. And that's when you really develop your team. When you're sponsoring a bunch of people, you're still in the middle of it, that if you jump out, they're gonna be like, whoa, 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 where are you going, dude? Yeah, it does really anger <laughs> you. I mean, and if nothing else, if there's some, you know, the, the great deal of accountability that I feel today to those guys, I owe that, you know, like I will, I, I simply won't let them down. <laughs> What's our time limit? Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know that we got a limit. We're two hours right now. Yeah. Well, we I don't go. have a limit, personally. I don't have a limit. I didn't I'm know if you had to upload a certain amount. Or uh, no, I can kind of compress it and, and get yeah. down. So I've been I mean, We're getting down to, on the cut. Yeah. So I've been, be nice I've been in two and a half like, hours real easy. And I'd say about six, seven more. Okay. I'm, uh, we got time. All right. Given the importance, this is from Mark B. How you doing, Mark, out there? Thanks for the question. Given the importance that AA places on singleness of purpose, how does TSSR embrace this or not and why? Hmm. Singleness of purpose, which you might want to explain to the readers what that is or the listeners. It's, yeah, you I kind don't of know. You know, it, actually, but. it's kind of funny because the place I was at, we read it. Like, and they read three or four. I don't know. It felt like nine statements yesterday in this meeting about the importance of singleness of purpose, and and I won't discount that. I heard it. You know, I hear what they're saying. I hear what they're saying. They're saying that Alcoholics Anonymous has a singleness of purpose. And what I heard is, which is, which is to uh, help other people record, carry the message and help other people recover from alcoholism. And we don't go around trying to get you to quit smoking cigarettes. And we don't try to get you to stop doing drugs. And we're not going to fix your marriage. And we're not going to fix your car. And all those kind of things. Uh, that we're going to help you stop drinking. That's what we're going to do here. Uh, which I, I can respect that. And, and what I heard, what message I heard yesterday that just came while I'm sitting there was that, yes, this group, A, has that as their singleness of purpose, and they can keep that as close to their heart as a home group and as a group as they want to because every group is autonomous and they can do that at their level. Second to that is AA is also, that is the tradition in AA. It is. But that doesn't mean that I have to operate outside of that room. I will respect it while I'm sitting in that room. They've asked me to do that by the readings and things. And, and frankly, I didn't share because <laughs> uh, I don't know that I can adhere to their I don't know that I can share and adhere to their level of singleness of purpose at the level they asked me to. So I will sit and, and, and be in part, be in their meeting. I but like, when I walk outside of there, gloves are off. I'll carry my message my way. I think people complicate this too much. And I don't think Bill meant it to be very complicated because he says very simply, our primary purpose is to stay sober and to carry this message to other alcoholics. The reason being is that AA had, they, they, they had found they had... When they first started out, they believed they had found such an answer to life that it would have been easy for them to get torn in this direction and that to try and save the world, right? And so they said, well, first of all, that's dangerous. Drunk's trying to save the world. We're probably all end up getting drunk. We're very, we need to maintain that humility. And we're going to water down our message, mm -hmm. which, you know, we Great need points. to keep it on recovery. But I also have a bone to pick with people that say AA doesn't guarantee we won't, you won't get your job back and you get your wife back. We don't guarantee that. But if you go up and ask that old guy if he got his wife back or if he got a better wife or if he got a better job today, he'll say, well, of course. I don't understand that. Why are you not pro preaching that message of recovery yeah. of your experience, strength, and hope of what directly happened to you because of this thing called singleness of purpose? So it gets a little bit muddied over there. We just need to be sure that in meetings that are dedicated, and specifically in AA, they address this. Open meetings are open to everyone. 
So if a person comes in there and says, I'm a drug addict, I'm sorry, you're against the rules if you jump their shit. They have closed meetings for alcoholics only, but open meetings are open to anyone to come in and ask questions and learn about recovery. Because Bill said our biggest danger is to become a closed society. Yeah. And for anybody, it becomes cultish when you're a closed society and say, oh, well, only you can come in here and you can't because you're going to talk about this. In open meetings, that was the purpose of an open meeting. Uh, in TSSR, we do have a singleness of purpose. Our singleness of purpose is to address our own spiritual sickness by working the 12 steps and to carry this message to others who might also be interested in the principles. And we say in our own readings that the only requirement for membership in TSSR is a desire to learn about and maybe try the 12-step principles for oneself. We want to create a format where people can come in and not be pushed. Uh, they didn't push mankind on me last night, but there was a strong message carried to me that when are you going to do this? And your leader do that. You were praising them. He didn't do it in an offensive way, but he came over and said, you know, when, when are you going to sign up for the next one? And I looked at him and I just said very securely, because I'm happy with what I have. I said, I'm, I'm, I'll consider it. I will consider it. Yeah. But I, I was getting that message and it's tricky for me, man, because I get that old church stuff in me that they're trying to sway me. And so um, TSSR's primary purpose is to have an open door. And to create a safe container, I want to do say that because we're doing that in our group where anybody yep. can talk about their major stuff and it stays in that room. Yeah, and I got we that have, language safe container from mankind. We have people sharing on a level in that group, and I know you can back me up on this, that is just blowing me away. It is. It is deeper than any other meeting I have going on in the week, even yep. deeper than my own group. Yeah. So, and tears, like tears, people crying yep. in the Kleenex box. That's yep. what we yep. need going right. on in our home group, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that needs to be like the talking box. Who's you go hold the Kleenexes. No, and I think we're going to run out. I've got to make sure we get a fund for more Kleenex. Yeah, right. Yeah, that <laughs> maybe meeting. should have been a thing we talked about in the home group. I can't even remember the last for... time, except for birthday night, which is kind of a given, where somebody, where we really get somebody broke crying. down yeah. and cried over something they're dealing with yeah, from good their point. past. Yeah. So, um, and it's a yeah, regular occurrence. We have a primary purpose in TSSR. It's to um, work our own 12 steps on our spiritual sickness. Our primary purpose is spiritual sickness, which we believe happens to our soul over time from living in this world and dealing with sick people, you just become sick inside. That's yep. all. Yep. And to carry the message to others. So great question. I appreciate that, Mark. Uh, all right. Jesse S. Jesse. What is the saddest or most extreme negative recovery story you've witnessed or directly? What is the saddest or most extreme Negative. I can speak to one Extreme that uh, I had again, you know, and it's and I, what I think of the word that comes to me is impact. And that's another word that's uh, been handed to me just of late with some extra importance from this mankind thing and my exposure to it. Same as this safe and tight container concept. I like that. And this impact, how did something impact me? And uh, when I was two weeks, I think I was around two weeks sober and I started working uh, with a sponsor and, uh, and I had come into my very first meeting and a man hugged me, he had one arm, he's a Vietnam veteran. Uh, he had something in his eyes, but it was also painful, but he was so open to me and came up and embraced me, uh, that touched me. You know, when my very first meeting, I was touched big time. I had a lot of impact from the people who were actually placing some importance and made me feel like I was worth having around. And, uh, and this guy, the next meeting, I were standing around in a circle the very next Wednesday night. He says to somebody, where's that Dan dude that was here last week? And he says it with every bit of honesty that he could. And, uh, and I was standing in that circle and a couple of people said, he's right there. 
And he looked at me and he goes, damn, I didn't even recognize you. And I swore, I don't think it was a play. I think he really saw that much shift in my demeanor in a week's time from one to the other of the eyes and hope. And we see people bloom, right? That's what I like to say. You know, you're kicking your shoestrings and you watch people almost like a flower go from like the head of a flower down to raising up and, and allowing the sunshine to shine down on them. Uh, and at some point you're in some playing of that. So to fast forward on the impact, a couple of weeks later, I sit down with my sponsor and we're going to, we worked before this meeting and I was sitting on, I can still remember exactly where I was almost like challenger explosions or towers that kind of remember exactly where I was at. So I need to tell you something. He said, uh, Joe came home the other day from work, stopped and got a bottle and he went in his basement and he blew his head off. And, uh, and that was, you know, that brought this thing home on a level that I really needed, you know, because it helped me understand the gravity of that. This wasn't some game we were in here playing around, trying to not drink between weeks that people were fucking dying. And I said, I've said time and time again, I've never known death like I know death after coming into these rooms because somebody I know or somebody I know who knows somebody is dying every week. As a result of this, uh, this is the, because of this disease, and we talk about in recovery this dichotomy we experience almost on a daily basis that this is a deadly serious business, and then Bill says, "However, there's an immense amount of fun to it." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is after he tells a story in the book about the guy that stuck his head in the oven in his house, yeah. and he was took in to kill himself. And I think Lois found the dude. Yep. Can you imagine Lois going through that? Um, so I have so many. I think I mentioned these are short mentions. One, this guy named Frank in our old home group had lung cancer and he went through hell with this. And they told him he only had six months to live and he lasted 17 years. And some days after chemo, he would come crawling into the group. And some days he would come in in better spirits and better shape. And then he lost his one lung and then he had a little bit of this lung left. And it was like pieces of him were eating away. And, and his attitude was just so fucking positive and spiritual that we were all like, damn he is carrying a message that i'm not sure i can carry and then there was another fellow in that group who got the news that his young daughter had brain cancer and she was only four years old and that man bawled in our meeting like you've never seen anybody bawl but he was sober man and he was walking the path and he did not flinch on staying in the solution and again carrying that message but really and i mentioned in the book so i won't tell it at length but my friend who was in tower two um on 9-11 and working for jp morgan on the 75th floor and i you never know who you're going to get in group and i a lot of times it's people that are just hardcore addicts that don't even want to be there and they're just there for court and you're just like you know fuck you too because they're kind of ruining it for other people but and that's my only issue with people being in group if you're going to ruin this for other people you got to go but otherwise you're welcome to hear about the message and then you get these people that are coming in that need help now and they want to, they want a lifeline. And this man was dying from his PTSD and his alcoholism and addiction. And um, 9-11 was coming up while he was in my group, the anniversary, the 10th anniversary. And um, he graced us. Instead of doing his first step, he told us the full details, which he had only shared with his psychiatrist. And I'll never repeat that story at length to honor what he shared with us, but I'll just say it's one of the most fuck we have no idea I, our fucking culture man i'm sorry i'm gonna go off on this shit we glorify violence we glorify fucking 
war and all that. So fucking ugly fucking shit, right? And then people will come to me and say, oh man, that one episode of Walking Dead where Glenn got his eyeball popped out, that fucking killed me. I say, you fucking idiots, you know why I killed you? Because it was real. That is what violence looks like. It's the most stomach-turning, fucking nauseating bullshit on this earth. And when I was in that group with my soldiers for PTSD, you fucking see what they're dealing with and what that does to your spirit and how you can't just fucking leave it on the battlefield. You're an idiot. And you say, well, I can't wait till their time comes. We're all fucking apocalypse. We shoot. You're an idiot. You don't even know what you're talking about. It's repulsive to the human spirit. It goes against everything we stand for. It is not glorification. It's ugly. And so when this man's telling this story about what really happened, not sanitized on some television screen with some news announcer with pretty hair telling a bullshit story. Fuck, why do human beings have to suffer and hurt that much? And this man was beautiful and he had so much to share. And he made it through that group and he made it sober for two months. And then I fucking found out he died from his fucking Xanax that his goddamn psychiatrist was giving him just so he could survive. Yet it was the wrong thing to give this man. And then I went to his funeral, as I've been to several of my patients' funerals, and his sister came up absolutely grief-stricken and pulled me aside and almost screamed in tears that this motherfucker didn't tell me that he was going to do this. And I live in Florida, but I would have walked on my fucking knees here to Louisville to help him. As I heard so many people who were present say that and how much love this man had for her, and he could not feel that. He could not feel the amount of love he had around him. And you're powerless. You're absolutely fucking powerless to help anybody. Because they have to walk their own journey. And this world is missing something major from him not being here. And uh, I wish I could have helped him further. And that's the most negative recovery story I have. Although that's, I have a ton, just like you, people blowing their heads off, yeah. guys jumping off bridges. Yep. One guy jumped 10 stories off the fucking downtown hotel of downtown Louisville. And God, I sit there and say, that's a fucking way to go, man. You are fucking angry at folks looking fucking shit, dude, to go that way. Gun violence is an angry statement alone, but you're going to jump off a building, get smashed to a fucking pulp. Fuck that. Yeah. But that's the reality of our disease. It's ugly and it's real and it's addiction. Let's stop dressing it up, man. Um, It moves me strongly, as you can tell. Yeah. All right, we're getting there. Uh, Nick F. Hello, Nick. What does God's will mean to you, and how do you practice it in your daily lives? Nick F. What does God's will mean to you, and how do you practice it in your daily lives? Yeah, you know, there's a number of those questions in here, and it tend to come from people who are like early in our path, you know, and that is a big question, right? Because it is. It just seems some obscure deal, and we talk about it, but what's that really mean? And if I problem is is there's like there really is no answer for that right it's an experiential thing for me it's actually hanging in here and allowing this process to work in my life to a point you know uh we say uh um trust the process and walk it out and don't you know and then use all the other tools that we talked to you about so that you can stay because that's a one of my one of my other favorite lines was was and i think it's joe hawk which is speaker he says something he says you know these meetings and this stuff that we tell you to come to that is not really what we're doing we're not wanting you to come to these meetings all the time what we're wanting you to do is come to these meetings all the time until we can get you a sponsor and through the steps so you can have your own vital spiritual experience so then therefore you lose that desire to need the other substances and stuff and have this other purpose-driven life going on for yourself 
you know, the meetings are just a tool for that. Uh, so in the same realm, it's like trust the process and keep going. You know, how do you know? You will know. How, how, can I tell you the answer to that? I can't. I can't give you the answer to that. Best answer I've heard, and I know you've heard this too, is when somebody says, I definitely know what is not my higher power. Yeah, I know that. And you'll get that little gnawing in your gut that you're like, okay, I'm off the beam. I probably shouldn't be doing this unspiritual thing. And you will. You're a human being. You're going to make mistakes in recovery. It's totally okay. Just report into your sponsor. I I did this. I I need to tell you I did this. I badly wanted to chase after something not too long ago in one regard. But I knew it was not the direction I ought to go. I just knew it. But, man, it was hard to not stop. you had that freedom to go have that experience and make that mistake. That's allowed in recovery versus church. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I also, um, I get a fear in me that's a clear signal. I'm away from my higher power as well. I'll get this like uh, uh, insecurity and self-centered fear that, you know, oh my God, my bills, my money, uh, the world just going out the door and I'm going to be hit by something. It's against me. That's when I know I'm not in higher power as well. And literally, just a simple prayer to say, help me, help me get back to you. And since suddenly I'm okay and running through life just fine. But if when I start getting fear, when fear comes in, I know I'm off the beam. Yeah, yeah. With higher powers will. Short question, Tony K, Killa. Best ways of letting go control. Best ways of letting yeah. go of control. Oh, do you mean like Tyler Durden screaming at the dude in Fight Club when he says, let go, when they're in the car going off the road and he wants them to let go of the steering wheel? Good luck. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough, that's another one of these concepts and these things that's just hard to like get around. You know, one of the things, one of the ways I let go of things is by doing this, that release of energy like that, that yelling, that venting. That is the best way for me to actually get past something is to fucking feel it for a little bit. Because as long as I'm like trying to do some kind of like hold it close to my heart and let go of it, I can't do that. I got to do, uh, I got to do a little puking, crying, screaming, cussing. I have to physically release some emotion in order to get to a point where I'm going to have any chance to fucking let go of it. What helps me is exercise. Same deal. Mm -hmm. Action. When I uh, swim and I I choose swimming because I, I'm in a position where I'm listening to people all day long and sometimes I just need quiet and I put in my earplugs and that always amazes me when I'm at the gym and people engage you in conversation when you got that nice buzz going on after a workout. I'm like, dude, don't talk to me. And I can come off kind of brusque, you know, and they, they think, oh, this guy's an asshole, right? But really, I just want my meditation time because I'm really chilling after a good workout. I mean, and sitting in the sauna or, you know, and just, just chilling, just done, sitting there just relaxing after that big workout um, and going for long walks. I think can help yeah. immensely mm-hmm. to get that reset. Physical activity for sure. Out something, nature, but out in nature. Yeah, because that'll give you the solitary side of it too, where you don't have the fuckheads wanting to talk to you. <laughs> if you get out and go walk, that that connection something with the about walkabout, just like they do in Australia, that really you're opening up your mind and you'll get answers of letting go of a problem you were trying to figure out all by yourself. That I don't know if anything else works quite yeah. like that for yeah, me. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. I mean, that's one of the reasons my fall recharge. You know, I say I go hunting. But ultimately what I'm doing is I'm out, out and I can, well, both things, two things you said that brought a line, brought a feeling to me was like an insulating blanket. The woods are like an insulating blanket to me and the water would be too, right? As it's around you and it kind of muffles the sounds. And if you've got earplugs in to boot, you know, as you're swimming, you've got an insulation blanket around you, kind of keeping you safe for a moment. All right. I got two more left. I think we're going to do it. 
Uh, Jesse asks again, what's your advice for people who can't seem to stop coming in and out of the program? Hmm. That's interesting. He would ask that question. It's a good question. A lot of us have experience with that coming in and out of the program. Man, you know, I mean, it gets back to that again, man. Some of these things are so, um, I can't even think of the word around it, but it's, they're so basic. Delicately. I mean, I don't, maybe like a metaphysical kind of thing, you know, about where, you know, this letting go thing and God's will and these things that, you know, there's no book on it, right? There's no paragraph that fits and, and everybody experiences it. No one it, size fits all. And yeah, everybody experiences it a little bit different. Uh, damned if it doesn't suck that the fact of the matter is, is that most people have to have some sufficient level of pain to be able to do that. Stop the bullshit. When are you going to stop dancing with this? You know, I had that friend of mine ask me, you know, and tell me that and again, it's, he's, he's delivered a couple messages to me. And I know today, cause I get the opportunity to do that too. That's not really wasn't him. Right now. I know that's higher power talking through him. And sometimes I will give an answer to somebody that I am not capable of giving. Uh, like they'll guarantee they guarantee like the when he this same guy told me if I guarantee you that if you have this thing that I have and you work these steps your life is going to get immensely better and I can also guarantee you that if you have this thing I have and you don't your life's going to get a whole lot fucking worse and how prophetic he was with that statement at the first night that I met him later on he said to me one night after uh after t- talking to him about after having come and clean to him that I was breaking in houses in a McDonald's. He said, man, I think you're either going to die or go to jail before you get this thing. He went to the bathroom. I rooted through his briefcase to see if he had any medicine that I wanted. After delivering that message to me. The power of addiction. Uh, but didn't stop people that stop coming. You know, I mean, that's I guess that's what it is. Like, when are you going to quit playing with it? And are you? Are you going to survive? Or are you going to wind up being one of these funerals we go to? Or, or don't go to. Is your mom going to do one of these fucking obscure obituaries in the paper that you died from something that nobody can tell what you did because uh, she's too ashamed to admit that what really killed you? Uh, is that where we're going to go with this or are you going to finally jump in the fucking boat? So um, he's moved on to bigger and better things, but one of the greatest neuroscientists I've ever met who also had about 40 years of recovery said that there's actually some research done on uh, the AA cliches and which one seems to carry the most impact for people to make it. Can you imagine what which cliche among all the cliches we say that the dumb alcoholic remembers and it actually saves their life? Keep coming back. Yes, that's the one. Keep coming back. Don't give up. Don't let your ego get in the way of you getting back in the door and yep. being just like the rest of us because we all failed. Do not look at the old timers like they're not big failures. Bill Wilson was a big-ass failure. Dr. Bob was a total failure. He's about to lose his practice. Yeah, total failure. Yeah. Um, but for back. me, my spiritual teacher, Marion, gave me this lesson. She said, and I was so torn on this, too. I was like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to be working on. And I want to do this. And I want to do that. I don't want to work on this. And she said, I hate to tell you this, but whatever keeps showing up in front of your path, in front of your face, that is your divine destiny, what you're supposed to be working on right now. So if you're an alcoholic out there and you keep ending up in prison, jail, overnights whatever you keep ending up and your wife's about to leave you and all that shit keeps showing up but you say no i want to go over here and work on it. i want to be this no this is your path and there came a point in my recovery journey where i where i, where I surrendered to 
where I surrendered to that, saying that, all right, motherfucker, and that's how I talked to my higher power, especially back then, just starting out. If this is what you want me to do, I know that if I just lay down to this path, it can't be wrong. Things will be great because this is what you're divinely telling me through just repetition. Yeah. I mean, it's very scientific. It keeps showing up, motherfucker. This must be what you're supposed to deal with to get to that next thing. And you are never going to get to that next dream that you want to work on if you don't deal with this first. Yeah. Great stuff. Last uh, question from our boys, and then we'll do one more from each of our lessons. We'll get out of here. Uh, what moment provided the biggest aha revelation about who you are or how you should live in sobriety? And how did and does it help sculpt you? What moment provided the biggest aha revelation about who you are and how you should live in sobriety? And how did and does it help sculpt you? That's a deep one, Tom. <laughs> For a new guy, you think some deep thoughts, bro. <laughs> Let me read it one more time. You know, you know where I get hung up, I, my mind goes, because it seems to always be like a cumulative thing. And I really don't yeah. think of a, it's really hard to grab a moment, you know, yeah. and except for like what shoots, you know, sometimes things will shoot in my head, like the thing about the, the My Japan trip, you know, that just flashed in, you know, and sometimes it's just so hard because uh, there's not a, it's a cumulative thing. There wasn't necessarily any specific aha moment that happened to me. I do recall that, that, you know, and it's, it's almost cliche-ish, you know, because you just walk, sometimes you walk into this shit and you're like, you know, you, after the fact, you're like, really, did I just, did I just lob that softball, you know? But I do remember talking to you one day on the phone and we just, I did my normal thing. I was joked around, you know, we talked about two o'clock in the afternoon almost every day for a long time. And, uh, and, and I remember how you doing? Doing good, man. Man, I don't know what's up, man, but I just feel fucking good. I just feel good. Everything is just is going. Everything, you know, and I just couldn't like was just in a mood of elation, and it was continuing to carry on. And uh, and you asked me, you said, "Are you about halfway done?" And I thought you were like saying, "Like, am I about halfway done talking and blabbing my mouth?" You know. <laughs> fuck you you know you asked me how i was doing i was sitting here trying to, fuck, to you tell me something about share the juice stuff you know so i tried to share some juice with you here. and uh and what you were saying to was in reference to the fact that i was someplace in the middle of my amends someplace in my amends process i don't know where i was at but yes i was someplace in the halfway done kind of or before i was halfway done i think it actually says before we are halfway done we will uh, so, so the, the point was brought home that, uh, so I still remember that. So obviously that is some kind of aha moment of going, uh, Hey, wow. Yeah, it did just shift. So again, mine came later, uh, because of, I had these two sobriety journeys. One was rolling through like what I had. And then this later, what I consider deeper recovery, I had that is related to that Dalai Lama trip. We were, went to this Zen temple in the middle of Kentucky in Furnace Mountain, Kentucky, and it was the World Day of Prayer in June. And the Buddhists went up on this cliffside, and they were way up there like little dots, and they laid their prayer, prayer flag, flags out, and they did this prayer to uh, their ancestors and uh, what they had brought them. And as they're praying, the freaking hawks came, and first one came to circle around the fire and the smoke going up in the air, and then two, and then five, six, mm. seven, eight. And... Uh, they were explaining to us that in Native American tradition, when that happens, then these are your ancestors coming back to acknowledge your prayers. And so that was juicy enough. We're all yeah. And everybody got real quiet. We're down this valley watching this. Everybody got very, like, 
solemn quiet. Like we knew something sacred was occurring. This was not a bullshit occurrence. And then me and this girl who had connected spiritually on this trip uh, said, we got to go up there tonight. You know, I know we're supposed to go to the temple for this musician session. And I was asked to come along to document some of it in writing. But we were like, no, that's not where the trip is. The trip is up there with that energy. We got to go check that out. So we climbed all the way up there. And it was a hell of a fucking climb to get up there. And we're way up there on this ledge. And we got to watch the sunset and be real quiet and see the flag still there. And felt that energy. And I had experience up there, which I do not detail. And I won't do it today in detail. It's something very sacred to me. But I had always feared death my entire life. I'd always had this big question of what's next. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I just always, it bothered me to an obsession point. Yeah, I, I, I'd always I wondered that. about death and what happens next. And I had an experience that night of uh, spiritual awakening and a little bit of a transformative trippy acid type deal that if you told somebody, they'd be like, nah. And I'd be like, yeah, seriously, this happened in sobriety. So when I tell my patients I've had experiences in sobriety that rival and exceed anything I did on, with acid, and they look at you, no. And I'm like, yes, I have. And it changed, when you say transformative or over time, cumulatively, not overnight because it was profound. It was too profound at night. It freaked me out. It scared the shit out of me. Yeah. I couldn't wait to get down off the mountain. Like, what the fuck just happened? That's what true mystical adventures happen. You're like, whoa, it, it upsets your whole equilibrium. And as I had time to process and let it settle, this obsession and fear of death just completely disappeared for me. It just, just went into the background that I knew that there was more than this life. I had seen it. I had seen the people waiting for me. I had seen the safety in that. I had seen the support and that you weren't alone in that and a lot of other things. Um, I don't want to get too deep in it, but um, it answered the question for me. And I'm not saying that I don't have the natural human fears. Like, I don't want to die tomorrow, and I'm scared. I'll be as scared as anybody probably in my deathbed. But I don't have that obsession. Yeah. It, I'm living today instead of being thinking about that all the damn time. Those have left me, you know, some of the... I used to have dreams of it. I had a real obsession with death when I was younger. Uh, I also had a reoccurring dream of being chased all the time, running. In the word, there's just to exhaustion, like being chased down like an animal by some force. I didn't know what it was. Uh, those things have left. I can't think of the last time I've had those kind of thoughts and dreams. Uh, it's, it's been a long time. One of the other transfer, one of the other aha moments was coming off of that nine months of, because I was since a year in home incarceration. They actually let me off in nine months. And I went to this day reporting thing, which where I just had to call in every day, which was no big deal because I was already calling you every day. You know, I call her every day too. And, uh, and she, and, and, but, the day that they took the ankle bracelet off of me and I turned in the equipment, I had my car loaded, ready to go to Fargo. I hadn't been to my camp, the place where we have the retreats at, for nine months. I hadn't been allowed to go down there. I tried to work some angles. I had this place in the country I needed to go check on. They said no can do. And and I haven't, you know, that's the longest. In t- the place with this fall makes 20 years since we built the place. And that nine months was the longest time I'd been without going down there. And that place is more sacred to me now than ever. But it's always been very, very important to me. And uh, waking up that very first morning of going down there, I was able to go down and spend two weeks that first day of getting out and, and climbing up in a tree and watching the sun rise that morning uh, was that daybreak broke to like a whole new awakening that day. I remember that moment, too, as you were sharing about the mountain and the hawks. Uh, when the sun rose that morning, it rose in a whole different way. I, I believe you sent me a picture. Yeah. And you were in bliss as well. I was taught it's called you're teary eyed and smiling from ear to ear. Yeah. And yeah, you had the juice flowing on you that day. Yeah. Cause it keeps on coming back. You know, had I gotten that full view you know, and it'd been unlikely they were going to give me 20 years. It'd been real unlikely, but 
but they could have. And I could still be, even in Indiana's terms of serving half of it, I could still be there, you know, and some milestones come by when, you know, that I knew that I was, I, you know, like that grace we were talking about earlier, I was spared that. Of, you, know. you you had it more imminent than I did because you actually went before a judge. <laughs> so, yeah, that's real. Yeah. Um, how about you do one more question? I do one more and we'll choose the juiciest one you haven't asked, maybe. Yeah, I, I've kind of been picking around. To do, but I think I've got one. If you could bring anybody back or anybody alive, Having to do with recovery and spend a weekend with them, who would it be? My sponsor, Roger. That is a no-brainer. I mean, it'd be easy to say Bill Wilson and all that shit. But um, so what happened this past year, guys? I, oh God, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> this man saved my life, and, and I, I got a chance to go back to Minneapolis this past summer, and I wanted to look him up, and I've already been able to go back. With this deeper level of recovery, one of my questions in here is one of the most rewarding amends you've ever done. And I, one and one of the ones I've ever done was actually being able to go back and, and more thoroughly thank him. I've thanked him time and time again. He knows how much I appreciate his presence in my life, but I really needed to emphasize. So I went back and found him. I got to do that. It was very special to him and me. And I'm looking to find him because they knew where his business was, but I also knew he had sold it. And it's been very successful. He's done great in sobriety. And um, I found his wife's obituary. And I was like, oh, shit, I didn't know Didi had passed. And so I read the little blurb, and it said, preceded in death by her husband. And I was like, oh, motherfucker. Fuck. Yeah, I man. missed that. And it happens. It's distance and time, and we had not really stayed in touch. And it yep. just happens. Yeah, in life. different localities, you know. You're going to find this, man. You stick around. You're going to make a lot of friends that you just lose touch with. And broke my fucking heart but um yeah if i had a chance to get roger back and just kick it around and show him what we're doing uh he would just but roger was a he was a smart wise wise ass um always joking dude he had man he had a wit about him that just could just cut you and he always grinned he had that little sly grin he just looked at you and cock his head like (laughs) and i think that's what he would do if he heard about all we're doing with the podcast and this program and tssr he would just sit there and grin and go okay what the fuck (laughs) because he always had a humility about it i was like we're not supposed to do this guys no we're just a bunch of drunks man and he was a drunk auctioneer and there's a lot of drunks in the auctioneer business because that's how they get all liquored up and he was very successful we did made a ton of money but uh God bless Roger. You saved my oh, life. That's really why I answer. want to come back. How about you? Uh, man, to come back. If I, Well, I don't think mine is to come back. You know, uh, I had, so one dream I have had that's a reoccurring dream is I have dreamed of spending time with Scott Lee. And I think some of that's from going to sleep with speaker tapes playing. But, uh, yeah, I would if I was going to pick somebody today. Premonition, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. You know, uh, we have some things in common because he talks and he shares a story about taking a little boy fishing on one of the stories. And it really, really touched me because canoeing is one of the things that I just want to. It's not one I'm true. You look back and you find these spots that you're like, man, I've always felt that true north compass pointing into my true north. My, my, com- my internal compass pointing to my true north. I'm in the flow. And it's almost uh, literal in that case of when I'm drifting down a stream in a canoe. And just barely having to paddle, just kind of keep the boat 
pointed in the right direction. You're not going anywhere. You're just letting the current carry you. And that's what you do a lot of times when you're fishing these little streams. And he tells a story about doing that and the rain coming down on him. And I connected big time when he shared that in, uh, in one of his or in a few of his talks in, in there. And uh, so, yeah, like if I could even pick uh, like what we would do while we were. Uh, yeah, I like go smallmouth fishing on one of these streams, either here or there, uh, if I could pick. Hopefully we can work that out and get him on the show one day. Here. That would be We're very working cool. on that. Yeah. So stay tuned. Uh, so my last question would be the first question I actually wrote down. Um, if you could, and we've kind of talked around this, but try and challenge yourself to get big of an answer that maybe we haven't discussed. If you had to choose only one, what is the greatest gift in your life that you have received from doing the 12 steps? If you had to choose only one, what is the greatest gift you've received from doing the 12 steps? <laughs> and, uh, so I, I landed right off on something pretty quick and it still is one of these kind of uh, I have found my voice and I know it's a little funny like because it's here on the podcast and that but as I move throughout my life on a day-to-day basis I have found the ability to be me without wearing any masks and just let me shine I have found my voice I have the same exact answer. I'd call it finding my truth and being able to walk it. And um, my entire life I was an actor and I wasn't even realized I was doing it. And it takes a lot of work to do that. And you're very tired at the end of the day of giving, giving, giving to try and be what this person wants from you and this person wants from you. And all in the sake of being approved of, you know, seeking approval and wanting them to like you. And then maybe I can use them for a favor later. Um, it's very agenda-based and manipulative, but um, being comfortable in my own skin and yeah. knowing what my truth is and that I'm enough, that yeah. I'm, I, what I'm doing is sufficient. And uh, perfectionism in my family was a hard message that had to get over that you don't have to be more than the gifts you were given. The gifts you were given have unique value to this planet. And... Um, finding out what those are and being able to walk them and you know i don't i still get hurt as a human being when people don't approve of what i do or say and they they make comments or they are just outright mean there's a lot of mean people i like the bumper sticker says mean people suck yeah (laughs) Uh, and i know that sickness based right they're not uncomfortable with themselves so they have to say something about somebody else i don't find myself doing that today i very rarely downplay i might think in my head that's natural for human beings but i don't word it and go out in the parking lot and just blah, this motherfucker. This I used to, but I don't have to do that anymore. But being um, comfortable with who I am and my truth, I'm able to be more effective to start this program. And don't you think that as an alcoholic, there weren't a bazillion voices in my head saying, what will they think about you? Little old me, and that's so important. My reputation, this motherfucker, who's he think he is? What is he doing? He's the primary purpose, all that bullshit, man. When the bottom line comes down to, who are you going to help? Yeah. Who gives a fuck what they think about you? If Jesus had worried about what the fuck they thought about him, he didn't. He went all the way to the death chamber with it. I have a message to carry, and that's more important than me and little old me. So knowing my truth, and I, you can get that, folks. That's why I wanted to end on that, that question. Is. Everybody can get that. As a guarantee, as part of your spiritual awakening, you will know who you are and shape your choices 
in your daily life to walk the path that by the time you get to the end of your existence here, you can look back and say, yeah, I nailed it. I did it. I, not with those, I don't have any of those regrets that I wasted this time, which we all have as alcoholics and addicts. All those years time wasted. You will not have that after the 12 steps. Yep, I agree. You know, that's the same thing. That my mission of helping you find your true purpose. That's the same. That's a metaphor. The same same verbiage, finding your truth, walking it. Uh, I, you know, I don't know why it works with me with the voice, but that's where it lands when I say that I found my voice. Uh, because that was, you know, um, frankly, was one of my biggest thing was being able to share my truth without to others because of being rejected and or fear of rejection of it and 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 ridicule and other things and not be able to. And now today I can shout, you know, my truth and and be there and you know like it, you don't like it, you know, and and I can walk on. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, and that is I think that's you know. I really do. If you, you know, we say a lot of things about effectiveness and understanding and maximum service to our fellows and and that kind of thing. And I and I agree with all that too. But I think more importantly is that is is finding myself. And then that what we said that in here about recovery, about the definition of recovery, is finding that which was lost or stolen. And ultimately, that was me. That was me. My fucking very soul, my very self, was both lost and stolen. I, I gave some of that away. On the, on the path, and some of it was fucking took from me, and I'm and getting it back. When you said that about helping people find their truth, it's a really huge gift of recovery that the thing we did not get from the people around us as we were growing up, we get to a place of position where we can now give that very thing. So one of the purposes of my path is to is to have the misfit know that they're of worth. And we have a, we are a group of misfits, man. We do not fit into society easily. We are fucked up. And that's your okay. Your fucked upness is part of your beauty. It's part of, you know, I used to have a sponsor who used to say, I know I'm a mess, but I'm a beautiful mess. And acceptance of self. And being able to share that with others, that you're okay, man. Don't worry about it. The whole world's fucked up out there. Don't let anybody be your judge. Everybody's yeah. dirty. Even the Pope. Everybody's dirty. And the real spiritual people will admit they're dirty. Yeah, the right. Pope, yeah. Pope will admit where he's weak in areas. And yeah. the Dalai Lama will admit where he's weak in areas. He won't say, well, no, I don't, I'm above that. No, that's not a real spiritual person. Yeah, and I have a real soft spot in my heart for when I see another matching misfit toy, you know, where I watch somebody who is just buried in their shame and in their... Or they feel like they that. can't come into the group and they're looking at us like, man, these guys have this, all this, and I don't belong. No, dude, you belong. Yeah. Come in around the fire. Yeah. We were there. Yeah, I have We're a, still there, yeah. but we were there even worse, and you can get better. Yeah, I have a real soft spot in my heart for those people, specifically, because, you know, some of the ones can walk in and they can, we have some examples of people who just walked in the door and busted it open and jumped with both feet in with us, right? And that's cool. I will welcome them just the same. But, man, where my heart lies is for the guys who can't fucking find the damn doorknob. I got in a conversation with Greg. We were both coming out of seeing Darren. We, we ran into each other twice. So we knew that was a sign we were supposed to chat. And so we're out in the parking lot. And he gets he's getting these deep spiritual questions. I love Greg. He gets real deep real fast. He just even no foreplay. He just goes right for it. And he says, well, let me ask you a question. Wait. And that's how he starts. Says, let me ask you a question. <laughs> if you're listening, Greg, you know what I'm talking about. And he said something about Jesus, this or whatever. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. There's this scene in this movie, uh, Religiosity, with Bill Maher. And you can think what you want about Bill Maher. And, yes, he needs some work on his resentment to get out religion. He would benefit from a four-step. But he's also carrying a message of his own to challenge the status quo. 
And um, he meets with this Monsignor outside the Vatican in one of the scenes. It's one of the most powerful scenes in the entire movie. When he says to the guy, and the guy's obviously a rebel Monsignor. He's outside the system. He's a radical. He says whatever he wants to. He's old enough. He doesn't care anymore. And he says, so let me ask you a question, Bill Maher says. He's in front of the, we're staying in front of the Vatican, and it's very ornate and very nice and expensive and gold. And what do you, what, what do you think Jesus would think about that? And the Monsignor doesn't miss a beat. He immediately says, ah, Jesus wouldn't be caught dead here. And Bill Maher goes, excuse me? I mean, even it surprised Bill Maher. He goes, ah, no, Jesus would be out serving the poor. He'd be working with the gays, the people with AIDS. He'd be out in the trenches. He wouldn't be here. He wouldn't come near this place. And that's the truth. For our churches, they need to hear that. That is the truth. That is the message that was carried by that master. And he was a misfit. And he was out working with the misfits, the people cast away by society. That's where your real spirituality lies. And I get that in my profession because I'm obviously having human records yeah. dropped on my doorstep in yeah. my group. Yeah. People that society has completely dropped and scorned and said, go away. Yeah, many of us literally, somebody has dropped us off at the doorstep said, here, I was you, there. you fucking taking Human wreckage, I was her. there. We don't know what to do with this and taking. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. This was a blast. I love doing this one. This has been a very fun one. Of course, I'm, I'm finding, again, as I continue to find my voice, I find it more and more, and I have more and more fun behind this microphone. But I just, you know, just like last night, we spent some time together, and, and, and I just enjoy talking to you and bantering this stuff back and forth and learning from you and, and sharing this stuff. And we know so much about each other, and we've grown so close over the past few years that I think that all, you know, we're intimately close. I can say that we we know each other's darkness and our light. Can we talk light. about that gift of recovery that not only can you have the deepest relationships you've ever had in your life, I don't care how deep you think you had a relationship with another human being, but Dan and I are at this restaurant and for some reason higher power said, don't take this first table the guy's answering because he tried to sandwich us between two other tables where you were staring straight at the TV. And I was like, no, can we have one of these booths back here, which I feel like they had closed the section for the night, but I was like, yeah, no, right. we don't want to be away from everybody. And Dan and I get in this deep ass conversation about sexuality and those secrets and those ch- happens as kids to us and things like that that you just don't talk to another man about yeah where does another man talk you don't do that at the gym for sure yeah these guys are talking politics and sports right. that's all you can talk about in the gym <laughs> and don't look downward at the guy's penis <laughs> we talked about that last night. yeah and so that's a huge gift of recovery is that connection to just be yourself and talk about the fears and the doubts and the questions that all human beings have. Where else can you do that? Yep, absolutely, man. And not feeling any kind of, you know, I've, again, I know that that was a safe and tight container, right? That I was completely safe to share whatever came about. Yeah, and that is. That's another, you know, you want to talk about miracles of recovery. And this They're man, boundless, man. This man was brave enough to approach this waitress who was very cute <laughs> after that. He goes, I'm going to go ask her out. And I said, fuck yeah, do it, dude. And she was in a relationship, but this man gets all the credit. He took that bullet. He went on the front line and said, hey, I think you're cute. You want to go out to dinner? That's fucking awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, that's kind of embarrassing, too. Uh, Not yeah. embarrassing. Most men I won't mean, do that. I'm yeah. telling you, man, men, women, give us a break out there. Y'all put this pressure on us like, oh, don't come at me and rape me. But at the same time, y'all want attention. And then we don't know how the fuck to approach you. And a lot of times you guys are cold as ice, man. You will cut our balls off just because I'm trying to ask you out for coffee. 
And then you don't. We won't even approach. I'm not going to bother yeah, with that. Yeah. She's not that cute, right? Start talking to her head. Yeah, yeah. She, 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 there's no way she'll say She's not yeah. worth it. Or she's probably with somebody yeah. already. But that's so. the other thing is being okay with her, with catching the no, which was a very likely thing. But I was catching some vibes from her during dinner that I didn't really think. I was actually Dude, it surprised. was so bad. She wouldn't even look at me when she asked, how's your meal? She talked slowly to him. And I said, well, I guess I'm just fucking sitting here. <laughs> My yeah. meal's fine, by the way. But she was all up in the day, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I was... I I was actually a little caught back in my heels, but then again, uh, maybe I'll go back to eat there again. Maybe she was caught. Yeah, never Maybe know. she was caught and didn't know how to catch that question. But thank you. Uh, so we are like at 2.49, so we'll wrap this thing up. And uh, thank you all for listening to this thing. Thank you all for supporting the podcast. Closing thoughts? Yeah. Um, well, I'm always uh, closing thoughts like a concluder thing, man. And, and I kind of already did it, you know, just my appreciation for you and these in this work and the, the gifts that, you know, because uh, everything I've said here for the most part is uh, could be tracked back because everything in my life that's good today can be tracked back to my recovery, can be tracked back to me doing these 12 steps, can be tracked back to you giving me the gifts of these 12 steps, you know, so everything roots back to there when I like take my if I say, OK, here's something in my life that's great. Where did it start? It all goes back to that. And I owe that thanks to you. I owe a debt of gratitude to you and to this work. And that's why I continue. Because I know that it's forever. You know, this stuff will give everybody, will allow everybody to find their voice. Whether if you're a substance abuser or not. Whether if you're wherever you're at. Maybe things are fucking great for you. You want to be greater? Who don't want that, right? And so we all are carrying stuff. And, and, and pick up some new tools. And don't be afraid to do that. And, and, and try out some new things. And see what happens. Worst things that happens to you. Maybe you burn four, five, six months doing this work. And you go, well, I don't know if that's really worth it. I don't think that's going to be the case. But that's your biggest risk. And that's another thing for Miss Mankind. What are you risking by not doing it? What are you Spend risking? the next four or six months drinking beer. Yeah. That's, that's not cocktail. Watching not football. Football anything. season. Uh, I want to send the love back at you as a concluder that, um, and I've already told you, you know, you're my best friend and you've taken my sobriety to a new level and you inspire me. You give me strength. That's what I need to tell you. You give me strength when you're not there. You don't know how you help me with this book and how you help me in my journey every day when I'm like, you know, get self-pity and I'm all alone and nobody understands and we're trying to do this TSSR and nobody else is really jumping up. And then you're there doing your thing on your journey. And I'm like, look at that motherfucker, man. He is walking his path. He can, I can walk my path if he's walking his path today. And you have that energy, which feeds me. And and I thank you for that. But really, I want to thank you for this podcast. And I don't think you want to comprehend what I see, that um, you're an innovator. You're a pioneer. You're going out in an area that, you know, people might blow back and push back. Not sure we should share our secrets outside. Who gives a fuck if the planet's burning? I think it would all bets are off in my fucking opinion i don't care who wants to shoot arrows in my direction about primary purpose or anything like that if our planet is dying what are we going to tell our grandchildren when they don't have crops and they don't have food and the honeybees are gone and the fucking oceans have taken over florida and i warned my sister she better think about selling that property because it's happening faster Mm -hmm. than we think and we're like oh everything's fine status quo let's just keep going on watch tv netflix come on whatever we're doing and no all bets are off man and you're not trying to send this message out there of hope that you do not have to go down with the ship. And even if we do all die, your soul will be clean. Your slate will be clean. Your agenda, your karma will be good. And you'll progress that next level. And that motherfucker might have to come back repeat in some other form, shape, or fashion. Yeah. Which the majority of the world believes in reincarnation of some kind, even Christians. Afterlife, whatever you want to call it. So you being on the front end of that and taking that risk, and I'm seeing how it's developing, 
I don't think you understand the depth of where this is going. And it's very hard to make predictions, but I just get this feel. The word that came to me was trajectory. There's a trajectory I, like I see in your evolution of the way you presented this podcast from just clowning around with a bunch of guys not knowing what the fuck we're doing to getting a little bit more organized. But we also don't want to lose the charm of it being in the woodshed. Woodshed, I always call it the woodshed. <laughs> Take your dog to the okay. woodshed, beat your yeah. and, uh And then the fun part, but also there's a deadly earnestness that um, we want to make sure that people who are hurting out there know that there's a resource and a place where you can go. And you were out there pounding that message every day. And I listened to all of your works. And I just sit back and I'm going, look at that motherfucker. This sounds professional. This guy is like doing the deal just on a Joe Rogan. You talk about Joe Rogan. I think you're on his level. Well, thank you. I mean, he's carrying his message in his way, but he doesn't have the depth that I listen to. I mean, I like his show, but I don't get as much out of it as I do your podcast. Well, again, you know, I go the same thing back. You know, I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for the lessons you've taught me. And I wouldn't have this rooted in my soul the way it is if you hadn't gave, given me this gift. Um and, you know, to sit here and do this is, yeah, I'd have never guessed, you know, the many of the things that's happened in recovery, I would have never, again, that same old cliches kind of thing. If I had scripted it, I would have never been. So we give each other strength because I watch you doing the book and trudge through that. And week after week after week, I'm putting it together, putting it together, putting it together, and then going out and supporting the meeting and pushing the word. You know, it's the same thing. I think that's one of the reasons why we're working. And I think it's a parallel trajectory that we're both like, uh, our orbits support one another. Brought together for a reason. Yeah. And so that's the same thing. I can lean on you when I go, ah, fuck it. I'm not going to do an episode. I don't really have a guest this weekend. I'll just, you know, hell with it. I just won't do one. I remember that too. And I was like, I'll do it. Yeah. And then I was like, immediately I prayed on it and it said 20 questions. Yeah. Something different. Yeah. And I like it. Yeah. I like the, uh, it was, it, it was, I love the way it went today. Of course, I just love sitting and talking to you. So we could, like you said, we could sit here with nothing and put a couple hours together without thinking about it. Just by, just by everybody to tears. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to have, you know, that is just something about having this purpose, this thing of this, uh, I, and I always, I need that in my life. I'm a task oriented person. When I come out here to shop, I just can't play. Can I have I, to have a, I have I to have something I'm adding to. to say one last thing too about, um, people misconstrue strength and confidence that this program gives you with ego and so when we're here and we're pounding this thing what it's done for us we're not trying to say we're so great mm. the, the minute we leave this room both of us are going to go back to our alcoholic thinking like i'm not enough and i'm insecure and i'm not sure i can do this that's human fears yep. and all that jazz but the strength of character and conviction in the purpose of what you're doing that you get from these tools is what gives you that confidence to pound it out there and when Scott Lee does that, you know, he's always clear as this isn't me. This is my sponsor and everybody else that taught me. So we're not trying to raise ourselves on a pedestal that me and Dan, man, we got the answer. But we got the solution. We got a fucking toolkit that's unbelievable. I can save your life with the toolkit that Absolutely. I've been given. I'm confident But somebody that. gave it to me, just like you're yep. saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I constantly am using the phrase, this is not me. Really, it's not. This is this, all of this you my brotherhood my family the people that raised me up uh it's all that that does this not me i'm not capable of this well thank you all for listening uh we'll just sign off real quick with the same things uh dtmww.net 
You can find that on Facebook, Instagram, the, the spiritualunderground.org, all this stuff. If you go to spiritualunderground.org, you can get links to all this stuff. That's one place I'm really solid in putting the links. So you can get to the Instagram page, the, the 12 Step Spiritual Recovery Facebook page, the 12 Step Spiritual Recovery uh, um, uh, website, uh, my DTM website, the spiritual. Uh, the youtube we get these, these things are uh simulcasted onto youtube so uh without video and that's an element i'd like to bring into it so all that's out there spiritualunderground.org uh the 12-step spiritual recovery at amazon james christopher cone there are other james cones or some kind of version of that you want to make sure you find james christopher cone if you're having trouble finding the link to that there are links on these pages that will make sure you direct that you get that directly or feel free to find me on one of those pages you can get a hold of me you can contact me and i will respond to you if you are looking for help in any way if i can help you i mean that uh that is that purpose and that mission of my life is to help other people uh to make create a world of healing recovery through uh helping others find their true purpose music around is from uh darren frank prayers for him keep those flowing it's working He's getting better, and uh, we'll see him up and around before too awful long. If you're not having fun in your recovery, it's your own damn fault. And thank you all for allowing me to participate in my recovery in this manner today. Peace out. Peace out.
see. 